After 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. And today we are live, live on an early Friday morning from Champions Gate number 8, the eighth consecutive year of a community of community leaders gathering together at the Yeshiva University Leadership Conference down here in Orlando, Florida. And for those of you who are familiar with this show and have heard our live broadcast from Champions Gate in the past. You know we're in for some real treats, some amazing guests, some great conversation about one of the most amazing institutions out there, Yeshiva University, and all the different things that are happening here, plus a State of the University address with Richard Joel, the president of Yeshiva University, coming up at 8 o'clock this morning right here at JM in the AM. Before we head to a bit of music, I take this opportunity to thank uh, both Mayor Weingarten and Matis Weingast, who sat in over the last uh, couple of days as uh, I was down here preparing for a Friday morning show in uh, Orlando, Florida. And I thank them both. I also thank Daniel Gordon, who was here live last night with a special live edition of the Stun Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. And I thank Mark Zamek, who's going to be coming up with a special edition of the Stun Show in Naomi Nachman's usual spot right after JM and AM this morning at 9 a.m. Uh, coming up uh, right after we uh, wrap up our JM and AM Friday morning editions. A lot to do, many people to meet, and uh, plenty happening down here at the 8th Annual Champions Gate Conference. The Yeshiva University Leadership Conference is underway since yesterday. JM and the AM is underway, and we are ready to continue at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, 91.9 FM in Rockland County, and of course, around the world on the web at jmandtheam.org.
JM and the AM live from the University Champions Gate uh, 8th Annual uh, Leadership Conference here down in Orlando, Florida. I am joined by some of the uh, great members of the Nahum Siegel Network JM and the AM team. Uh, we are, in, in fact, I mentioned Mark Zomick earlier, who's going to be doing a show on the stream starting at 9 o'clock this morning right after JM and the AM. He is, of course, producing this morning's show, and I thank him. And good morning, Mark. And uh, Miriam L. Wallach is here, who uh, has been busily preparing for this morning's show to the extent I don't think she slept last night. So I thank her for that. And, um, uh, and, <laughs> you think so? <laughs> and anybody who's following us now on Facebook or Twitter, Facebook update page Jewish Radio World with Nahum Siegel on Twitter at Nahum Siegel Net. Those are her observations that are being posted and you can follow those right now. Uh, whether you regularly do or don't, you could follow them this morning as you listen to the show. And Mayor Weingarten is here, the first time he's at Champions Gate, and uh, somebody who made sure to uh, do what is being regarded as a very emotional and interesting program this week on JMDM. There are a lot of people talking about Wednesday morning show, and I know that uh, you use the opportunity, as you always do, to really inspire folks with a couple of very interesting stories and reminders about our history. Good morning, Mayor. Good morning, Nachum. Thank you very much. We uh, we did it both on JM and the AM, and we did a version of it on the Israel show on Monday morning as well. And uh, this is a very interesting time of year for the Jewish people, and not just because of the uh, three weeks and nine days, It's uh, which of course are commemorating events that happened uh, many, many years ago, but the things that happened much more recently that you cited earlier in the week. I know a lot of people are quite inspired by it. Right, you know, we, we forget. We think Tisha B'Av is over, and there's the segue to Tuba Av, which is one of the two most uh, joyous days of the calendar. But we forget that 84 years ago, this week, was the Hebron Massacre. Right. Not only the Hebron Massacre, people, people focus on the Hebron Massacre because it was so aw- awesome in the sense that so many people were killed. But you know that at the same time, there were, I believe, 12 or 17 people killed in Yerushalayim and in Tzfat. There were massacres throughout the country. And at this very same time of the year, after Tisha B'Av, and you know, between that at the beginning of Chodesh Elul, eight years ago was the expulsion from Gush Katif, where 8,000 Jews were literally exiled from their homes. And at the time, people were calling it uh, all, kind of, all kinds of whitewashed names, you know. Uh, disengagement. It was a disengage. We didn't disengage from anything because, you know what, they didn't get disengage from us. They're shooting rockets at us right and left. And so we, we went through that. And you know what happened? The day after the end of the quote-unquote disengagement process, when they closed the gates and we were disengaged, every single shul in Gush Katif was burnt to the ground. Right. And just Yet another korban, right? And just as we sat on the floor and cried about the mikdash that was burnt on on Tisha B'av, we should be crying on the floor on the eighth day of Elul, which is the day that all the mikdashim me'at, the small batei mikdash, were burned in Gush Katif. And seven years ago, around this time, was but was called the Second Lebanon War, and so many people were killed. And we spoke about some of the heroes, including Roe Klein, who. Everybody should know his name, one of the Jewish heroes, where a, a grenade was thrown into his platoon. He was the commander, and as he saw that it, it was either his life or the life of so many, he threw himself on the grenade and yelled, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, as he 
was killed in order to save the rest of his platoon. And the mayor cited other stories as well, uh, some just as, as tragic. You can check out the archives at jmdm.org. And I want to thank Mayor and Matis, who took over Wednesday and Thursday while we were down here preparing for this morning's show. There will be a fresh edition of the Israel Show this coming Monday, correct? Yes. yes. 9 a.m. right after JM and the AM. Will anything that happens here be part of of the Israel show on Monday. I'm looking forward to it. I'm here. I'm collecting material. So, uh, <laughs> okay, very good. Really and the almost chief rabbi of Israel, Rabbi Stav, was supposed to be at this convention. Right. He uh, he opted out at the last minute because of so many commitments after this very bitter battle in Israel regarding the right. chief rabbinate. Um, I don't know. Maybe there'll be uh, some material regarding that over this Well, definitely. Weekend, we uh, spoke about the uh, election of chief rabbinate. On the show on Wednesday, we spoke about it on the Israel show. The process, how how these people, how the chief rabbis get elected, and uh, we'll speak about the results and what happened. And by the way, the hope is that in ten years from now, and this is the promise that Naftali Bennett made, and it is something that my great grandfather is at Sal, who have Uziel, who, who, the, who knows something about being chief rabbi, who was the first <laughs> chi- chief rabbi of his oldest father, chief rabbi. He had requested at the time, and he was ready to be the one to move back, to pull back. He said there should be only one chief rabbi. We are one people. Right. A lot of people... And I will pull back, he said, right. and let there be the, let Rabbi Herzog be right. the chief rabbi. There are people who've written some interesting articles over the last couple of weeks that there should be no chief rabbi in Israel. That's a whole different issue. That is a totally different topic. Uh, Mayor, thank you. Mayor Weingarten, the Israel Show, Monday at 9. And, of course, he'll be spending Shabbat here at Champions Gate, gathering up material because there are a lot of very interesting people here. Mark Zomik follows at 9 a.m. this morning with what we call a special edition of the Stunt Show. I'm not sure, by the way. Yeah. We ha- I, I know Miriam decided it was a Stunt Show. I, it's either huh? a special edition of the Stunt Show, a special edition of Table for Two, mm-hmm. or an early start to the Arab Shabbos programming. I'm not 100%. So I like exactly the fourth option much better. It could all be. three. Yeah. It, I like the fourth because we did this a couple of years ago. We called it a fourth hour of jam in the AM. Oh, okay. I thought it was a dessert topping and a floor wax. <laughs> M- Mark, it could, be, it, it could be a stunt for two. Stunt for two on Arab Shabbos. The topic of today's program between 9 and 10, no matter how we refer to it, the topic will be... Asay lecharav. Make for yourself a rabbi. We'll be discussing with Rabbi Ronald Schwartzberg, the um, head of placement for uh, basically most of the Orthodox rabbinate in uh, the United States. Um, we'll be talking to him about the process of hiring a rabbi in a, in a shul. It, it was interesting for me to find out. Hold on, I wanted to... By the way, that's not a Selecha chief rabbi. That's a Selecha rabbi. For, for, for the shul. It was interesting, and I'll ask this question at 9 o'clock so those of you who are tuning in will know the answer to the trivia question I ask uh, Rabbi Schwartzberg as I pull it up here. Um, there are... I'm taking a second. It, it was interesting for me to find out that the OU, RCA, Rabbinic Council of America, NYU, all now put the selection of a rabbi under a single umbrella. And so it w- um, I had found out that, w- that they're not alone. And um, w- my question is, what, is, what do the following three people have in common? Alan Hinken, Elliot Schoenberg, 
Oh, sorry. Rabbi Alan Hankin, Rabbi Elliot Schoenberg, and Rabbi Ronald Schwartzberg have in common. They placed probably almost all non-Chabad rabbis in the country, conservative, I mean, Reformed, conservative, and Orthodox. There's one guy in Reformed, one guy in conservative, one guy in Orthodox. So everybody who sort of wants to become a pulpit rabbi, it's all, it, it, at all in the country... It's all through these guys. There's something unusual about that. Right. That, that only one in the Orthodox community would be uh, the go-to guy. So well, I, why would it be any different than a conservative community? I mean, you have... Cons- no, I understand, but you would think that we would have at least five or ten doing it right. in the Orthodox world. Well, so, uh, because the RCA and the OU sort of bought into it, right. so it's all being funneled through. And even the Young Israel, which hasn't officially bought into it, is mosking that you go through OU. And right. it's a very defined process, as some of the listeners might know. Our show right now is going through that process, so it's sort of a kadai to have that conversation. You have right. to remember that many, many shuls today in the larger Orthodox communities don't have a quote-unquote official pulpit rabbi. Right. So that right. that takes away a lot of the shul. Yeah, but even within the group I that understand. does, it's unusual. I yeah, I understand what you're saying. All right, so Mark Zomik at 9 o'clock this morning, and no matter what you want to call it, we know it'll be an interesting conversation. We highly recommend it, and that'll happen between 9 and 10 right after JM in the AM. Our schedule is relatively uh, simple. We meet a lot of great guests, as we do every single year, between now and 9 o'clock, including the president of Yeshiva University, Richard Joel, who will join us for what I've been calling the State of the University Address. Uh, we'll do that um, coming up at 8 o'clock this morning. Rabbi Yudin will join us, so don't worry. We'll have uh, Rabbi Yudin's words about the Torah portion on Parshas Akev. Candle lighting at 8 a, excuse me, 8 p.m. 8 p.m. I almost scared ZK. I was to get back <laughs> to New York. 8 p.m. is candle lighting time. What candle lighting time is in Orlando? I'm not quite sure. But for most of our listeners in the New York, New Jersey area, you need to know that 8 o'clock is candle lighting time later on today. Speaking of ZK, I thank him again for being to my right and making sure everything is functioning properly. And my Thanks to Stan, who's back in our studio in Jersey City. We continue with some great Erev Shabbos selections. This is JM and the AM Live from Champions Gate, number eight, the Yeshua University Leadership Conference for this year. Thank you for joining us. Shalom, Shalom. Ah. 
שבונחו ביום שבת ברוח פורה 
Shabbos down here in Orlando, Florida, as we're at the uh, 8th Annual Champions Gate Yeshiva University Leadership Conference. Rabbi Ari Sittner sits in front of me. He's originally from Muncie, New York, and then decided to go out of town. But when he went out of town, boy, did he go out of town. Five years in Des Moines, Iowa, and eight years in Charleston, South Carolina. And now he works strengthening communities nationwide as director of the Community Initiatives for Yeshiva University Center for the Jewish Future. Rabbi Ari Sittner, welcome to JM in the AM. Thank you, Nathan. Nathan, good morning. Good morning to you. So first, tell me about Des Moines and Charleston. Those are interesting choices for a kid from the New York area. Yes, growing up in Muncie, it was a huge change for us, but a welcome change. Really allowed my wife and I to find ourselves outside of the larger community and find opportunities to give back in ways that never would have happened in Muncie, in Brooklyn, in Lakewood, in Teaneck, and any of the communities that we were affiliated with previously. My curiosity is about places outside of the New York metropolitan area, and I guess uh, outside of Israel as well, uh, is always piqued. Uh, give me uh, a, a, a small uh, overview of the Des Moines and Charleston communities. Are they very similar, like many of us would think, hey, they're both out-of-town communities, or are they very different? I think each community has its own personality. Uh, the culture, years and years that preceded our arrival there, 
um, was a very important component of us learning and adapting to those communities. So when you come from Muncie, I'm coming with all of my Jewish baggage, and I have a lot to learn. And so I think when you come into a new community, it's important to stop and to listen, to become a part of the community, to understand their culture. Um, Des Moines was very unique. I'd never been out to the Midwest before, um, but the people were extremely sweet, extremely welcoming, and I actually came out initially as part of a kollel. So people said, there's a kollel in Des Moines, Iowa, and we had six younger light who were learning night and day, and uh, that eventually grew into my position as the rub of the shul, uh, where we began to really reach out to the larger community, and I got affiliated with the Federation and the conservative and reformed communities and began really helping to impact Jews everywhere. And I had never in my life been involved with the larger Jewish community. Uh, and then from there, transitioned into the community in Charleston, South Carolina. And uh, the Charleston community is just a historic, beautiful community, uh, built beautiful relationships, and again, had an amazing experience impacting people and really discovering part of myself in the process. Does the Des Moines Kollel still exist? Not anymore. How long did it exist? It was there for about five or six years. Oh, very nice. Um, so I think I must have asked this question to your to one of your um, successors down in Charleston yesterday, but I could ask you, you obviously must know our friend Mallory Factor. Absolutely. That's he and I used to have a every week. You're serious? Yep. He's doing the Parsha every week. And he's a big media star. He is. To say the least. Okay, so uh, now... Rabbi Sittner, Rabbi Ari Sittner is here with us at Champions Gate. You strengthen communities as the Director of Community Initiatives for Yeshiva University, and tell me what that means. Essentially, I'm, I have the great honor of taking the experiences that I've had in these communities and, and now understanding what it takes to run a community, what it takes to grow a community, and to take those experiences and now broadcast them out to communities nationwide. And the latest program that we've launched is the Community Leadership Initiative, where we're able to identify communities that, that are looking to grow. And we partner with them to ask them for their best and brightest of emerging young lay leaders, and we help take the great resources and faculty and professors of Yeshiva University and merge the two together so that we can take these great resources and bring them to lay leaders to strengthen them, to give them the tools that they need to now go back to their organizations and to uh, bring to the forefront growth, strength, vision, and, and a, an incredible sense of momentum. And growth means growth in numbers, growth in quality of programming, both. What, more than that? Tell me what it means. So part of what we focus on is we're not consulting. With, an, with a particular organization or community. We're not doing a needs assessment. Instead, we are taking their leaders out of their element and we're saying, here are the tools that any lay leader will need. Now, it's your responsibility to go back and to assess what growth means for you. It could be in numbers, it could be in quality, it could be in Torah, it could be in funds. But we're going to give you the tools to do the fundraising or to do the strategic planning to be able to now implement that. Mm, so the guests who are sitting uh, with you at this moment can verify, I assume, that this program can actually help in those areas. Absolutely. And that means that we are speaking to uh, Rabbi Donnie Davis of Highland Park and Ben Hoffer of Springfield, New Jersey. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Good morning. We, good morning. Can we start with uh, Highland Park and uh, find out what this initiative and program has done to enhance things down there? Certainly. Um, together with uh, one of the other Gabayim in uh, Congregation Avas Yisrael in AY, where I'm active, um, we, sat, we, we learned a tremendous amount. We're a small shul looking to grow. We're in the process of trying to buy our building, the pot of land next to it. And there's so much that we need to do that we 
perhaps didn't have any idea in terms of strategic planning, in terms of, we all know about fundraising, and that's probably the foremost on most people's mind in institutional, um, in institutional leadership, but to be able to do the strategic planning, to be able to think ahead, to be able to have the skills to know what to do when you're looking to hire a rabbi, or to, to you know, put together your board to write a constitution for the first time, and the rules of, you know, Rogers rules in terms of how you're going to run a board meeting. All of those aspects are things that uh, every lay leader should know, every board member should know, but doesn't necessarily have any training for it. And this uh, program gives you the training. The procedural matters in all of this, whether it's finances, even spiritual growth has procedural matters. Uh, it, it, this is, it, it's a priceless program because it sometimes can take you years, decades, or never to learn this stuff. Here you could do it in a matter of a course, right? Correct. And, and there t- tends to be a, a void, a vacuum that exists in organizations where you have some ex- just incredible experienced leaders who do everything and they're carrying the organization and it's so difficult for them to take the time and train someone new that it's just easier to do it but at some point they just can't do it anymore and who's supposed to take the torch right and this program gives an opportunity to create a conversation and to be able to have organizations say where is the succession who's going to be the next person and the vision behind this program is to create a forward momentum within organizations that there's a pipeline for leadership mm. and we can fill the pipeline with people who actually know what it's going to take in order to take the organization forward and how often have we seen that the uh, the development of young lay leaders, like you say, passing it on, succession was the key to the future of the community. I mean, it happens so often, and when the opposite happens, unfortunately, it could lead to uh, a downward uh, uh, momentum, unfortunately, for a community. Ben Hoffer of Springfield, New Jersey, good morning to you. Good morning. So uh, what did it do for Springfield, this program? Well, first, let me say what it did for myself. Uh, when I moved to Springfield about six years ago, it's kind of about getting thrown into the fire, and you're learning trial by error, trying to figure out how to sink, how to swim, not sink. And um, this program helps me that in the next six years, instead of having to just do a trial by error, I learned a lot of tools that I will now have rather than having to be thrown into the fire in those situations. In terms of helping Springfield, Springfield is very fortunate to be led by very strong young rabbinic leadership in the form of Rabbi Chaim Marcus. And uh, through his leadership, we have experienced significant growth in our community, both in the forms of numbers and in terms of quality. Um, the program taught me a lot of things that I brought back to the community. The thing that will be the most immediate impact was a focus of vision that a Muskin imparted upon us. Uh, in his community in Century City in California, they have a programming guide. Mm. And this programming guide is handed out to every community member when they walk in on cold and dry night. And it lays out the entire program for the entire year. And there's literally something every week. Now, it's an amazingly amazing. So if there's a lecture in March, it's in that book. 100%. That's 100%. A, that's a phenom- and we're not just idea. talking a lecture by the rabbi on Wednesday, a lecture right. on the rabbi on Thursday. You're talking the top speakers in the right. country. Special guests who come in. It's unbelievable. Now, that's an incredibly ambitious program, one that will take years to develop, but we intend to implement our own program starting this year. We've already had a number of program and committee meetings, and we're looking at, we've already lined up a number of speakers, and we're putting together the uh, promotional materials now. And we hope to also be able to hand it out cold and dry night, and uh, that'll help the qualitative programming aspect of our community. It sounds like a you too can be a big thinker program. That's what it sounds like. Absolutely. That everyone thinks that this is only reserved for special rabbis who are able to pull this off. Everyone could do this if they work hard at it. And, and that's part of the vision of what we're trying to, to impact. When, when Rabbi Brander and President Joel tasked us with taking this program on the road, we wanted to alter the landscape of communities nationwide. 
And that starts with planting a seed and helping everyone realize that who is going to be the one to bear the torch? Who is going to take the organization forward? Someone has to do it. Right. And, and just somebody stepping up. These lay leaders are incredible. The group that we work with are the ones that are coming to that realization that they can impact it and they can take the organization to new levels. How long have you been doing this now? Uh, we've just graduated our first cohort uh, over the last six months. That's it, just six months. Um, I'll put you on the spot here, and I hope you don't uh, cop out, but I understand if you do. Is there, Aside from Springfield and Highland Park, is there a community to watch in your eyes? Is there a community in this country that right now is, is just sparkling with incredible enthusiasm and looks like it has the potential to be this behemoth of a... Uh, of a, a center of Jewish activity in their community? So I, I think that the goal, and I'll try to answer the question, I think the goal of the program is to help each community identify what their capacity is. Um, Rabbi Brander, what he accomplished in Boca was phenomenal. Unbelievable. And Talk about models. I mean, that was just amazing. Incredible. And I think maybe a Springfield, that can happen, or Memphis or Dallas or Kansas City. There are communities that are starting to, to climb to those heights. But is that always the goal of a community, to transform it into the next big community? Maybe there's a small community. Mm. Maybe a Charleston just needs to level off as a strong, established community. And, and maybe that's the goal, to help communities realize their potential. Oh, you're making a very important point. Rabbi Ari Sittner, we call it the uh, Community Leadership Initiative. Um, how do people get information about this? I mean, there are probably people listening, and as the word gets around, there are going to be people around this country who want to graduate people, who want to have them attend courses and be inspired by all this and learn from it. What should people do? Absolutely. And we're in the process now of rolling out our next two cohorts over the next year. And uh, the process for that is we, we ask organizations to contact us, and we partner with them and have them nominate, and we go through a very thorough application and interview process. We've got a great website. If you go to the CJF website, which is yu.edu forward slash, C, forward slash CJF forward slash CLI, to the Community Leadership Initiative, where they can send me an email directly at sitner at yu.edu. That's S-Y-T-N-E-R at yu.edu. Did, you give, did they give you gentlemen a nice uh, certificate or award once you completed the program? I mean, uh, do you have a nice keepsake from all this or not? They give you a certificate, <laughs> but the real reward is the tools they've given us that we'll take back to our community. I understand, but when and, people uh, move into a new community and they're told you're going to be a leader here and you're going to get involved, you think, you know, you have to be, re- you have to be recognized for that. And in fact, I do want to take this opportunity to both thank Yeshiva University and uh, my shul, Congregation Israel Springfield, for sponsoring this program, uh, both on behalf of myself, the participants from my community, and all the participants. It really was an amazing experience, and I want to thank Yeshiva University for that. I want to note, by the way, that um, not only does Yeshiva University house this program, as you mentioned, obviously any information people need they can get from CJF, uh, the faculty on this program. To show you how seriously the YU folks take this, the faculty is a very impressive list of everybody from, from top to the, you know, to the other side of the top of the leadership of YU. And I'm talking about in every area imaginable, financial, spiritual, leadership, even the President Richard Joel presents uh, at some point during the program. So we should note that they're very involved and take it very seriously. Correct. And that's part of what drives the program is having people like Rabbi Brander, President Joel, uh, Charlie Harari, and people from the business school and the school of psychology, Rabbi Schachter and Dr. Pelkovitz, just an incredible lineup of people who give of themselves in order to impart these visions of leadership to the next generation. And keep us up to date on what communities to look out for, please. Thank you, Nachum. We surely for, will. Rabbi Ari Sittner, I thank uh, Rabbi Donnie Davis of Highland Park and Ben Hoffer of Springfield, New Jersey, two examples of the Community Leadership Initiative program. They are graduates. We're at Champions Gate down in Orlando, Florida, Yeshua University Leadership Conference, State of the University at 8 a.m. Eastern Time, coming up with President Richard Joel. Right now, some music and more guests coming up at JM in the AM. Ooh.
J.M. and the A.M., it's Benny Friedman, Shalom Aleichem, candle lighting at 8 p.m. Some synagogues begin earlier on this era of Shabbos Parshas Akiv. Make sure you know when things start where you are. We've had the pleasure of speaking to Rabbi Penner on other occasions on these airwaves. It's an honor to welcome Rabbi Menachem Penner as acting dean of the Rabbi Isaac Alchanan Theological Seminary. He is the acting dean of Reitz, serves as spiritual leader of the young Israel of Holloswood in Queens, received his smicha from Reitz back in 1994. Rabbi Menachem Penner, welcome back to J.M. and the A.M. Good morning. Congratulations on your new position. Thank you very much. How are things going so far? Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. It's a very big responsibility, um, but thank God. Things are going very well. Uh, for those who are not familiar with the amazing and rich history of Reitz as a rabbinic institution, one that uh, continues to produce the most amazing Torah scholars and rabbinic leaders, is it possible to put into a few sentences, for those not familiar with this incredible institution, just how vital it is to the Jewish community? Um, I think so, and I don't think people, I agree that I don't think people really have a sense of how much goes on in the yeshiva. Um, just the sheer size of the yeshiva, I think, is something people don't appreciate. There's a thousand undergraduate students learning Torah every morning in yeshiva. Um, about 850, 900 of them are sitting for morning seder right. every day. I mean, to see two huge Bate Medrash that are completely filled with fellows, that's besides the Smicha program, which is obviously very well known, and the Kololim. So just the sheer size of the yeshiva, as a yeshiva, before we even talk about what they're doing around the world, is an amazing thing to watch. And you're seeing uh, many enthusiastic youngsters walk in and say, I want to be a rabbi. Yeah, more and more. More and more. Um, you know, as with many other jobs, it's not always the easiest job right now to find a, a spot. Right. The economy is still the economy. Um, but many, many more. And many more interested in moving out of the New York area, which I find really exciting. I'm a New Yorker. But I understand that most of Jewish life is not in New York. And uh, the fact that so many of them are excited about leaving New York is really an exciting thing. So they probably think that they're going to find uh, bigger challenges outside of New York, more excitement outside of New York, maybe play a bigger role outside of New York. And all that is essentially true, right, to an extent. And they find that life is actually pretty nice outside of New York. <laughs> Hard to believe, Rabbi better. But in some communities, it actually might be. There's really wonderful things going on. We don't want to put down our home base in the New York area. <laughs> Um, and and even with the economic circumstances as you described and life being a little different maybe than years ago, uh, there's still that enthusiasm. In other words, I would guess that in terms of numbers, uh, you're still seeing basically the same number of fellows walk in and say, I want to be a rabbi as you have in the past, right? Yeah, yeah the number is very high. We'll have a Chagasmicha this uh, March with probably 200 fellows that represents four years. So we're getting about 70 or so that in each year and about 50 graduating a year, which is a huge number of rabbis. Wow. Very nice. Now, accompanying you here today, we have Noam Friedman, who is a fourth-year Smicha student at Reitz, which I assume means that you'll be at this year's Chag Smicha, am I right? Um... Uh, possibly. <laughs> okay. We hope. Get running we hope. It's we, not that easy to finish. That's true. And you're uh, you're from what area? Where are you from? I grew up in Teaneck. In Teaneck, New Jersey. We have Nuriel Klinger here, who is entering his third year of the Smicha program and pursuing an MA in medieval Jewish history at Revel. And you are from? I'm from Columbus, Ohio. Columbus, Ohio. Welcome to you. <laughs> and is this Daniel Sherman? And Daniel Sherman is here, and he's a graduate of Yeshiva University High School. I uh, went to Yeshiva Dakotel and Yeshiva College, now a candidate for Smicha at Reitz, and has served as rabbinic intern, listen to this, folks, in Overland Park, Kansas, 
and will be serving as rabbinic intern on the Westside Institutional Synagogue in Manhattan, a shul that we are very familiar with. Good morning to you. Good morning. And what was Overland uh, Park, Kansas like? It was a tremendous experience. Uh, it was a great opportunity to see an out-of-town community and the way they function within their community institutions and a rabbi that's dedicated and committed committed to their growth. And it really was nice to meet a different community, different than the way I grew up just of a different size and a little bit different of a demographic. But it really was a wonderful opportunity to just meet different people and to learn that there is rabbinic life outside of New York or even Philadelphia, <laughs> which I guess we're a little more similar to New York in many manners. And um, I'm very grateful that I had an opportunity to see something so different than the way I grew up. How long did that experience last? It was one year. It was oh, over the year. an entire year. So Boy. I commuted back and forth at various times, and uh, it, really was, it really was tremendous. Now that's a commute. Right. <laughs> I don't want to hear complaints about other commutes. New York to Overland Park, Kansas. So no, I'm Friedman, why do you want to become a rabbi? Um, I guess it was something that was uh, on the radar for a long time, and there are a lot of different facets of the rabbinate, but uh, really what it boils down to for me, and the thing that excites me the most, is developing relationships with people and being able to guide them through the mundane, but also through the exciting parts of life and the happy parts of life, but the low parts as well. Do you Are you overly concerned with where you might end up serving as a rabbi? Does geography matter to you? Not particularly. Um, I like geography. So. <laughs> I don't mind, uh, you know, going outside my comfortable limits. Um, you know, grew up in the New York area, and that's certainly one option. But uh, you know, my wife and I were open to uh, going somewhere else, and that's that's totally cool. All right. Um, I, I would, I, as he's saying this, Rory Penner, I'm saying to myself, you know, where can we, where can we send them to really teach him a lesson if he wants, if he wants to go to some obscure area? No, we're but too you, cold. But you do, right? Uh, can you imagine? But you do have graduates that have gone to some isolated areas, as we might yeah. consider them, and have been very successful. Right. We have graduates really around North America, around the world. Baruch Hashem. It, it sometimes we we take for granted that so many of the community rabbis out there are Yu Musmachim. Right. Um, we don't sometimes celebrate that enough, that just so many of the, the pillars of communities are from the yeshiva, and it's now more than ever going around the country. Do you get the feeling that they are in touch with you, your staff, with the rabbeim that they've met and have studied with at Yeshiva University over the years? Well, having been at one point a uh, young rabbi in my first couple of years in a shul, uh, you're very in touch with the people at home. Um, as much as we do, and we do a tremendous amount to try to train them um, over the four years for what they're going to experience, it's very hard to completely simulate what it's like to be a rabbi. Um, and we do get a lot of phone calls, uh, as you would expect, from young rabbis in the field saying, wow, you know, we learned about this, we did this, but run, th- run through this with me one more time. Because uh, it's a little difficult sometimes to imagine in the shul rabbinate what comes across the rabbi's desk, how many things the rabbi sees, right. and how crucial a role the rabbi plays at that moment when something is going on. Yet one of the other amazing benefits of being in this Yeshiva University network, because you have people to rely on, you have people to check back with uh, at any opportunity. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, just besides even the rabbinic personalities, the mental health personalities, the Dr. David Pelkovitzes, the Dr. Norman Blumenthal's, the kind of people that you come in contact with are really world-class mental health professionals that you could check in with. That's a very valuable resource for them. Mm-hmm. Speaking with some of the uh, wonderful people from uh, REITS, with Rabbi Menachem Penner, the acting dean of REITS, and uh, let's give Nouriel Klinger a chance to tell us about his uh, plans. Uh, what is your intention once you have graduated from the REITS program? So I think that uh, after I completed uh, Smicha, I'd like to go back to a community kind of where I grew up, from Columbus, Ohio, out of town, 
you feel like I have I'm, I'm filling a role here I feel that I'm filling a need and I think that gives me a sense of purpose that really allows me to do my job in a in a full sense that, that is yeah it's just it's well, talk, very, talk very about exciting. giving back to the community that's a golden opportunity does it frustrate you when you see the large Jewish communities of this area and you say wow <laughs> it would have been nice to have grown up in a place like this or Columbus was just fine for you I, I don't have a desire for a shawarma at 11pm so uh, it was it was okay but you can't up. hang out with us alright <laughs> uh, so I, I was okay with, with growing up in Columbus I think that there are really some wonderful resources that exist outside of New York that we, we I didn't have growing up but I think that even despite those resources, I, I, I learned uh, to do uh, to get to get as far as I can with limited resources. I think that's a skill that's important as well, especially going into the rabbit. All right, there's no question about it. And you, essentially, you left town after high school. That was basically your, uh, uh, <laughs> or even earlier than that. After uh, after, after high graduating school. high school. So actually, I didn't even I, I didn't go to YU undergraduate. I went to University of Michigan. I came uh. to YU uh, to go to Reitz. Uh, so I saw the light after. after <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I I, um, I I spent a little time uh, between college and, and going to YU, uh, deciding what I wanted to do, ultimately pursuing career in the rabbinate. When one of my big mentors was the rabbi of my shul, Rabbi Howard Zach, uh, who I had many conversations with prior to coming uh, to YU. But uh, he, he's one of the big reasons I'm, I'm going into the rabbinate. Very interesting. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard. I'm listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, WNYX Montgomery, Round the World in the Web. Oh, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world in the web at jmam.org. Uh, so Rabbi Menachem Penner, acting dean of REITs, uh, it sounds, by the way, is that unusual for somebody from outside of Yeshiva College uh, to come in from a different university and say, hey, I want to have smicha? It's actually much less unusual than it used to be. Uh, one of the most exciting things now about the smicha program is the diversity of the fellows that are there. Um, there are a lot of fellows coming in from outside of, of YU undergraduate, whether it's from a secular college or from a yeshiva, from Waterbury, from even 770. Uh, you'd be surprised a lot of the people. Many of the people are coming because they understand that to be trained to be a shul rabbi or to be trained to be an educator, you not only have to be a tamachacham, you also have to really know what you're doing. And the REITS program is having them learning solid, you know, seven days a week, but also giving them that training. So it's very exciting because when someone turns to us and says, we want a rabbi like this, we can really look to a number of our guys and say, hey, you know, we have that. And having had many people join the program from outside of YU is a tremendous uh, boon to the program. So what you're saying leads me to believe that all these supplementary rabbinic and practical rabbinic courses continue and you meet a lot of very interesting personalities who teach a lot of very important things. Obviously, there's nothing like on-the-job training, but these things are very valuable, just taking those courses and being part of it. Right, and it's much, much more than it used to be. I mean, this time, at this point, we're bringing in professional actors to play shul members, to play Balabatim with various uh, challenges. Oh, you must get me into that. You, we, I have to be able to play one of those shul members. It's, you know, one of the biggest challenges we always had is how do you simulate, even on a rabbinic internship or if you're an assistant rabbi, you don't, you don't really get to sit in the toughest situations. Those, they just want to sit with the rabbi. So how do you train a student to be able to be there when someone comes out with a, something really dramatic, something terrible? Um, so a number of years ago, we started with a company that works with hospitals, and uh, they send in actors, and we've simulated things like 
someone admitting that uh, they had an affair. Someone, had, someone, a, a rabbi telling someone that someone's been killed, chas v'shalom, uh, in their family. And uh, it's not the same as real life, but it's pretty close. Oh, unbelievable. It's, it's Great amazing. Program. It's an amazing experience for the rabbis. Rabbi Penner, I hope you have a very, very successful 5774, a great year ahead. Uh, there will be a lot of much. students who I'm sure will be gaining from the REITs experience. Thank you very Gentlemen, much. thank you. A pleasure meeting all of you. Thank you very much. Rabbi Menachem Penner is acting dean of, of REITs, Rabbi Isaac Alchanan Theological Seminary, one of the uh, most amazing institutions in our country. And uh, he is joined by these amazing students, Noam Nuriel and Daniel, this morning, uh, who are Smicha Kent candidates at Yeshiva University's REITs program. Rabbi Brander will join us and plenty more coming up, including our State of the University discussion with Richard Joel, the president of Yeshiva University, as we broadcast live from Champions Gate number 8 in Orlando, Florida, right here at JM in the AM.
On this Arab Shabbos Parshas Akev, candle lighting at eight o'clock tonight. Some synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Here we are at JMAM on a Friday morning broadcast. As we continue from Champions Gate Eight, it's the Yeshiva University Leadership Conference. It's always an amazing event. Gives us a fantastic opportunity to catch up on so many phenomenal aspects to what uh, Yeshiva University is doing. And joining me right now, Rabbi Kenneth Brander. He is the Vice President for University and Community Life and the inaugural. David Mitzner, Dean of Yeshiva University Center for the Jewish Future, and he joins us here at JM and the Am. Everybody, Brander, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Nachum. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Congratulations on the title of Vice President for University and Community Life. Thank you. And uh, tell us about your intentions uh, in that uh, position. Well, um, I think it represents a unique opportunity. I'm greatly appreciative of the trust that the trustees and President Joel has put in me to work on a, a larger platform with students, uh, all aspects of student life. I'll have the opportunity to collaborate with my colleagues, um, engage in various aspects of whether it is um, the leadership aspects that are found in the CJF or just all the quality of life aspects, um, working with my colleagues in admissions. But perhaps most importantly for me is the opportunity now to help shape a vision of Yeshiva University in Israel. Um, Yeshiva University has a campus in Israel. We have uh, wonderful programs in Israel. We have a kolo in Israel. But uh, the parts uh, are great, but we want to create a whole that is greater than its parts. And over the next uh, year or so, I'm tasked with creating a vision for how Yeshiva University can impact the larger uh, Israeli community how we can work with the Israeli government, how we can work with important organizations there, with universities there, with social service organizations there, and bring the strengths of our graduate schools, bring the strength of the yeshiva so that we can make a difference in the real location of the Center for the Jewish Future, and that is within the state of Israel itself. You have, um, you declared in this program uh, certainly two years ago, I think we discussed the last year as well, how in the role that you have uh, in association with the admissions department, you wanted to see both campuses grow. Obviously, you want the undergrad campus to grow, and naturally everything grows after that because uh, uh, so the majority of the students who want to go on to a higher education than that are sticking within the Yeshiva University community. Many people... 
Many observers, including myself, would call that already a success. Are you ready to say that that part of your task has proven to be successful? Well, again, I think the admissions uh, office is a very talented group of uh, young men and young women under the leadership of Michael Kranzler that engage students not only within North America, but are starting to engage students in English-speaking countries around the world and in South, South America that really want to have a Yeshiva University undergraduate experience. And yes, thank God, our admissions numbers have really skyrocketed, skyrocketed over the past year or so, and please God, that will continue. But I also think it's important for us to realize that we are not just a university. We are a unique university with a, a mandate to matter, and we have the real opportunity to really work with so many important institutions in Israel and to take the work, the way we train rabbis in America and the fact that uh, we've been asked to help train rabbis in Israel and the way we can uh, impact on various social service challenges or social challenges within Israel by using our school of social work and by using the wonderful, talented undergraduates that we have um, I think that we are also in a unique position where there is a much greater rift in Israel between the Tzibur HaRachav, the larger Jewish community, and, and the Orthodox or traditional community to try to show that Kiruv is not about uh, forcing people to engage in a certain way and engage in a certain lifestyle, but it's about the opportunity to share Jewish values and give people spiritual wings and allow them to take them wherever they go because that's really how our rabbis engage within communities. That's really how our students understand the responsibility about embracing other Jews. And hopefully we can start taking the energy that is part of Yeshiva University, both as an academic Yeshiva and as well as our, the energy of the students, and start finding partners, and there are very eager partners in Israel for us to make a big difference there. Rabbi Kenneth Brender is with us. He's Vice President of University and Community Life, and of course Dean of the Center for the Jewish Future at Yeshiva University. In addition to the institutions and programs that you mentioned at the outset in terms of Israel, how else will this manifest itself? Will there be, will there be a larger administrative presence in Israel? Will there be a formal college campus in Israel? What, what, what dreams do you have for the state of Israel? Well, first of all, there is already a campus that Yeshiva University has in Israel. Unfortunately, I don't think it really ha people know about it as much. They sometimes say it's the building next to Mechon Lev <laughs> or the building next to Mechala. And when you get into a cab and you say you want to go to Yeshiva University in Israel, they ask you where you are. You say, well, oh, the right near Mechon Lev. Then they know exactly where to take you. <laughs> and hopefully we'll change that. Um, where people will start to say that uh, we want to go to Yeshiva, we want to, when someone wants to go to Mechala, they'll be able to say, oh, it's the building right next to Yeshiva University. Next to the YU campus. Right, YU campus. <laughs> so there is a, a nice campus in Israel. I don't think there's, there's a quick fix here. I think it's about listening to a lot of stakeholders, our alumni in Israel, uh, the various uh, institutions in Israel. I've had some conversations with uh, the Minister of Education, uh, the Minister of Welfare, all have... Um, without requiring us to put in financial, uh, you know, they're not looking for us to bring financial uh, wealth to the to the table. They recognize the wonderful academic wealth and the wonderful, I think, gestalt that Yeshiva University has, and they want to partner with us. So I, I think it's too early to say a vision. I'm sure I'll have the privilege of of joining you again, and and. 
but I think it's about us being able to take some of the know-how that we've done in America. Uh, you can't cut and paste it. You have to, you know, adapt it to the culture and the community of Israel. But to be involved with what I call Rashid Smichat Kihilatenu. That is to create, you know, communities. Very I think good. it makes a difference. Some of the phrases that come out of YU are amazing. That's a great one. Um, Rabbi Brander, a personal question. If one analyzes your career, uh, Boca, Yeshiva University Center for Jewish Future, and these most recent roles that you've been given, you do not shy away from a challenge. You do that's and and that may be, by the way, the real key to the secret of your success. You have always taken challenges head on, and you have uh, utilized each opportunity to really uh, make change and positive change. Um, does this scare you at all? Does this prospect, especially dealing now with something that's essentially six thousand miles away physically, does it scare you at all? Well, I, I don't think I've ever looked at it as uh, being interested in being involved in challenges, but rather um, with my lovely wife, recognizing that there are opportunities and to be partners with her and seizing some of those opportunities, to, to strengthen Torah and, our, and really the why you understanding what Torah and engagement is. And I think that you know, I was nurtured as much from the Boca experience uh, than what what I gave. I definitely gained so much more than what I uh, than what I was able to to give. And I think that's true with YU. I think that there are so many colleagues that are supportive of this idea of engaging in Israel in a responsible way that I'm not as worried about it. Um, the president of Yeshiva University has really asked me to be involved with this and realizes it's a collaborative effort. You know you're going to have a good team, basically. Yeah. You're dealing and, and with amazing it, people. Right? It's not just... I, I have a good team. You right. know, the, I have colleagues like Avi Lauer and others who have done wondrous work in Israel already. And it's, I'm, not, I'm not doing it alone. I'm doing it as a you know, partnership with others. And I know that between Avi Lauer and Jeff Rosengarten, who have done some serious work in Israel, and the president, and people like Josh Joseph, and an unbelievable board of trustees, who are also part of this vision, and we have more alumni in Israel than any institution in America, right. um, that there will be multiple spiritual voices and multiple voices that call to action, and hopefully I'll be able to learn how to conduct the symphony uh, in Israel, and, and we'll be able to make a difference. Well, congratulations. I think it's an amazing agenda, and... Uh I, I think that uh, you'd agree that it's an honor to uh, to it's a take, privilege. Yes, it's a real privilege to take this on. Uh, help us uh, welcome some of the uh, brand new presidential fellows. I'm sure nothing you've told us about your trips to Israel and meeting some of the uh, students in uh, in the Yeshiva University system who go to make a difference in different communities, whether it's Israel or places in the United States. Uh, here we have uh, young people who are ready to make a difference, and in some ways already have. Uh, David Berger is here from West Hempstead, New York. Uh, majored in political science at Yeshiva University. He is uh, hoping to pursue a Ph.D. in political science, and he'll be working in the Center for the Jewish Futures Department of Jewish Service Learning. David Berger, welcome to the show. Thanks, Nagam. Thanks for having me. A pleasure. Uh, so why did you decide to pursue a presidential fellowship? Uh, for me, the decision was pretty easy. Uh, I loved YU. I had a great time. But uh, even more than that, I also care deeply about YU actually began my career at Hunter. I was in the Macaulay Honors Program. But I decided to switch because there were so many opportunities in YU to give back further the Jewish community. And so for me, working in the CJF as a presidential fellow is just another opportunity to do that. Has your role, which I assume starts around now, right, 
Has your role been defined? Do you know exactly what you'll be doing in the CJF yet? I do. I've I uh, just spent a, a month in Israel on Counterpoint, which is a program that sends students to the south of Israel to run summer camps for uh, low-income communities and uh, eighth-grade, seventh-grade kids there. And I've been speaking to my mentor, Lisa Abrams, about already how we're going to program the mission for the winter and the next summer. So. We're hitting the ground running. Here's your chance, Roy Brander. You're a big fan of the uh, programs in south of uh, Israel. Yeah, listen, um, I, I think that what, you, what you'll see with all the students that you'll interview now is, is the fact that they've gone really around the world with Yeshiva University Center for the Jewish Future, but the most important journey they've taken is the journey of self-discovery. And while David is speaking about the wonderful work that he's been involved in in Counterpoint in Israel, where we've gone to Yerucham, Demona, Kiryagat, Kiryat Malachi, Arad, uh, Be'er Sheva, and we've worked with an underprivileged population that is lacking self-esteem, and so many of them drop out of high school, which means they continue the cycle of poverty that we've had outside evaluators from Israel, Israelis who've interviewed both the mayors, the social workers, the families, uh, tracked the students, and they have all acknowledged to us that we've made a difference in hundreds if not thousands of kids' lives. And people like David have really made that difference. I hope that for David it's not just been an experience in which he has given but really, it's been an experience, a leadership incubator, um, the south of Israel, and that he has received so much in return. I always tell the students that the Hebrew word Natan, to give, is a palindrome, because when you give, you receive so much in return. And I think that that's really a unique experience about being at Yeshiva University. The fact that you're able to study Torah, the fact that you're able to go to a university that is rated in the top 50 in North America but then there's that other aspect and that is the ability to be able to learn outside the classroom in all of these types of initiatives that both the CJF and other parts of the university run. Oh, no question about it. Uh, Joanna Ross Tash is here from Indianapolis, majored in art history at Stern College, has been on three different YU athletic teams in the last three years, including tennis, soccer, and cross country, and spends most of her time in a yoga studio or photographing the world around her. Next year, as she'll discuss with us, she'll be at the Yeshiva University Museum. Welcome to the show, Joanna. Thank you very much. How did you discover Stern College for Women? Yes, I get that question a lot, <laughs> actually. Um, so I knew about it from Indianapolis. I had a few friends who went who were a few years older than me, but I didn't. I was supposed to go to Indiana University, which would have been a totally different experience. <laughs> I um, bet. <laughs> yeah, and I uh, went to Bar Ilan for the year. I did the one-year program there, and throughout the year, I decided it was that was not the experience I wanted to have. I wanted to go to a place that would support my Jewish lifestyle, that I could thrive in that way, but I ought to, at the same time, I could gained from the cultural experiences of Manhattan. And that was those were two parts of me that I wanted to um, further develop and that was, it just seemed like a very logical place. Just out of curiosity, how good is the Stern College tennis team? It was good. It was actually my first year on the on um, at Stern. It was like my first day. I signed up for the tennis team, and it was a great way of getting into Stern and meeting people right away. Um, so it, great girls. All the teams I've been on, I didn't switch because I didn't 
didn't like them. It was because I wanted to try new things. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, what will be happening at the Yeshiva University Museum? What will your role be there? At the museum, I'm actually I'm very excited about this because I was an art history student. Right. I am, I would say. Right. Um, and this seems like a logical next step in terms of discovering what I could potentially do um, with an art history degree, which is museum work. Um, and I've been I've been told that um, I will be able to to get my feet wet in museum work and a big variety a variety of projects, um, whether it is within the research of exhibitions or putting on exhibitions and also just the day-to-day tasks of museum work and publicizing and getting students to come in as well. Very nice. Very, I'm very excited. Uh, Roy Brander, it looks like the admissions department made it to Indiana. <laughs> hey, listen, we're all over the place now. Uh, again, a very talented, uh, young, uh, energetic staff in the admissions office. And um, also in Israel, we have over 600 students on our S. Daniel Abraham program. And we have a staff from the admissions department now in Israel. We have five uh, members of the admission staff that live in Israel and that engage with our students in Israel, which is important because as somebody who spent time in Israel, whether it's on Sukkot or Pesach, you know, sometimes students are left alone. Right. And they don't have a place to go, and they're hanging out on the streets. And with the S. Daniel Abraham program, not only do we make sure that the institutions that we, we interact with um, really have a rigor in the curriculum so they can get Yeshiva University credits, but we take care of our students, and if they ever have a need for a Shabbat experience or they're stranded on the Chag, um, all they have to do is call our office, and uh, our, wonder, our wonderful staff there is really engaged with them. And what other uh, Jewish institution has a museum for an art history student to naturally not, progress into? Not only that, but you know when they, they just had an exhibit on, on Eruv. Right, that was amazing. It was amazing, but then to have the Rashi Shiva come, right. and they comment on it, and you know it's really a Torah Mada experience, and um, I know that she'll have a wonderful experience at the, at the museum, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing one of her exhibitions, Please God, in the future. There you go. Joanna, you have a big uh, vote of confidence from Rabbi Brander. Danny Goldberg is here, originally from St. Louis, Missouri, majored in marketing. Uh, this is... This is... Yitzi Frankel. Yitzi Frankel is here. I'm sorry. I was misinformed. Yitzi, tell me where you're from. Hi, I'm from Los Angeles. Oh, uh, we've heard of that place. four years at YU. Uh, really enjoyed it. Majored in psychology and minored in business. Very nice. I was also on a team, but I stuck with one team, uh, the fencing team. <laughs> Very good. How's the Yeshiva College fencing team doing? Uh, we have guys that do well individually. You know, there was a time when there were some legends on that team. I don't know if they tell you that or not. Yeah. You go back about 30 years, you had some amazing... Uh, yeah. Legend. Um, how does one apply for a presidential fellowship? Because I was told that there are people who do so in a very unique manner, or, or, oh, or a distinctive um, manner. How they apply? I mean, it's it's more about why they apply. Right, but I was told when you go through the process, there's an essay, and people present it in different ways and come up with creative ways to make themselves known to the committee. Is that uh, something you were involved um, with at yeah, all? Yeah, uh, I mean, personally, I... I for you myself, did the standard... Uh... No, no, no. A lot of people, some people write, some people make a, a little video montage. Right. I took a, a poster board that uh, with tons of pictures of my progression through different parts of YU, a lot the CJF, um, where it's involved in uh, anything from winter and summer missions to disaster relief with Nahama for Hurricane Sandy and Hurricane Katrina, uh, for Torah tours to Columbus, Ohio, Southfield, Michigan, Houston, Texas, New Hyde Park, New York. 
Uh, I know we definitely go to Indiana for Torah tours, uh, which, by the way, I think was, besides being a um, really uh, a great way for YU to show show itself without boundaries by using its students as ambassadors for what, what we really are, uh, personally, was a huge catalyst for my growth, um, you know, getting up in front of a different community, a different shul, and uh, talking. Um, but um, besides like a litany, I have tons of clubs, including I did the YU uh, R, the YU radio very show. Nice. Um, very, very, well, that started, but very important to my career, that's for um, sure. It got me started. <laughs> I was on different clubs, the fencing team, the debate team. So uh, all this is on this montage that you hand in yeah. to impress the committee and sure enough you're chosen thank god yeah. what is going to be your role we've discussed uh, with our other guests what they're going to be doing next year um, it's coming right now what, what is your position I as have a, a really unique opportunity that, that i get to work with and for rabbi brander directly and uh, it's just i've been on it so far for almost 24 hours and <laughs> so it's far really so been good <laughs> one of the most fascinating days of my life just who i've met what i've done uh, it's really been a lot of fun. Have you enjoyed the fellows that you've worked with over I, the years? I, I the ones directly you worked with directly? Right, I've, I've been blessed every single year to have a fellow, and uh, it's really been a wonderful experience for me. First of all, a lot of them have changed their uh, course path uh, once they've become a fellow. Uh, some of them, uh, to the chagrin of their parents, uh, you know, some of them had really promising careers in medicine that are now going into Jewish community work uh, because of their experience. Um, <laughs> but uh, not everyone, you know, not everyone makes that decision. But the bottom line is that I find that the fellows bring a fresh perspective to a lot of different issues. You learn from them, and uh, I know I've learned from them, and I hope they learn from me. And I know that. They have unbelievable experiences as as a fellow. And Yitzi this year, because my responsibilities have expanded, as I told him, his responsibilities will expand. That's right. So he might take some trips to Israel. He uh, will definitely get engaged in not just the CJF, but with me in the admissions and the rest of the student life experience at YU. And we always talk about leadership and uh, creating future leaders, and obviously that's what this is all about. Um, you have seen many fellows already have tremendous influence in the greater Jewish yeah. community. I mean, just to give you one example, sure. the first fellow I had, um, where we all joked that we all worked for her, uh, was, <laughs> was Hindi Pupko. Uh, and from that, she went on to the JCRC, and she's just doing exceptional work. There's a fellow now working at the Covenant Foundation. There's a fellow that works, uh, several that work at NCSY, one that works at Avichai. And it's just, it's great. And, and you really, and I think the president um, really has created uh, just an opportunity for students to explore. And in this one odyssey year, there, it really helps them think about what they want to do with the rest of their life. Right, Brander, excellent. You've introduced us to some amazing students, and uh, stick around. It is great speaking to you. Rabbi uh, Kenneth Brander is, of course, the Dean of the Center for the Jewish Future, and uh, he will uh, continue to be with us here at JM in the AM. I have the opportunity now to introduce, Ms. and thanks to our students who stop by, who are now enjoying their second day as Presidential Fellows. Congratulations. Ms. Ilana Gadish, 
recently completed her M.A. in Biblical and Talmudic Interpretation at the Graduate Program in Advanced Talmudic Studies at Stern College for Women. She received her B.A. there as well this past year. She was the Congregational Intern at the United Orthodox Synagogues in Houston, Texas. will be joining Lincoln Square Synagogue, a congregation very dear to us. As an intern this fall, in addition to teaching Talmud and Tanakh at Ramaz Upper School, also an institution very close to us, and as a fellow in Nishmat's United States Yoatso Talachah Program, Ilana lives in Manhattan with her husband, Moshe Peters. Ilana Gadish, welcome to JM in the AM. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. You have a very impressive resume. I don't always read the entire bio that I'm handed when it comes to a guest. In your case, I felt I had no choice. <laughs> it is really uh, extremely impressive. And uh, now tell me about the entire experience. I mean, at some point in your life, you said to yourself, this is my pursuit. I'm going to be an academician when it comes to a Bible and uh, a Tanakh, Talmudic interpretation, etc. What was that like, making that decision? Uh, very difficult. Um, as you, as Rabbi Brander mentioned, some uh, some some fellows who were going to be medical students uh, decided to pursue a career in the Jewish world. That was also my experience. I was a bio major at Stern really until my senior year. I was also a double major in Jewish studies, so I think the process began a lot earlier. Um, when I was in high school, I always had a passion for learning and I had a passion for sharing. My community in um, Aventura, Florida um, always encouraged me to give Shirim on Shavuot and other, other, any other occasion that I was able to share whatever learning I was doing in school. And so I think even from that moment, I sort of was inspired to share with my, my Torah learning with the community. And so that was sort of instilled in me already. Um, but definitely my experiences um, both at Midrash at Lindenbaum in Jerusalem and at Stern College where really the learning is unparalleled for women. I mean, the level of the shiurim there and classes are really, really exceptional. And I think that that type of environment in which you can both, you know, pursue the um, academic learning on, on really an academic level. It's not extracurricular, it's really curricular. That sort of inspired me to make it, I guess, curricular for my life, you know, as a part of my life. And the opportunities to be involved in the community at CERN as an undergraduate were, you know, above and beyond. And I just, I took every opportunity that I had. So I really, I think, um, that kind of combined together really led me to uh, pursue this. Are you meeting a lot of women who are doing what you're doing or what um, you did? A lot of women? I don't know. I mean, for the past two years, I was in a master's program where people chose to take two years out of their life to study Kumara and Halakha on a high level. So it was sort of a self-selecting group. Right. So that's kind of been um, my the circle, my, really. so, my right. social group. But, um, I mean, you're talking about maybe 12 or 15 women. So in the large scale. Understood. Been. What is what was the biggest challenge down in Houston? What was the uh, what was your role? What was the uh, you know on a day-to-day -day basis we would find you in what type of capacity? So I went once a month for an extended weekend uh, because I was in my master's program as well. So it was an internship through uh, the through the GPATS Talmud Master's Program, and it was through the um, Al Moses Women's Leadership Initiative. So it was kind of an initiative to have women go to communities and share basically the Torah that they were learning and sort of interact with communities, um, you know, whether I, I did many various things. I gave shiurim. Um, I did a lot of high school lunches and middle school lunches, especially with the teenage girls, which, you know, for them, they had never... 
you know, besides maybe a few teachers in their school, they hadn't really seen um, women who had chosen to take Torah learning on as their career. So um, that was very, uh, apparently that it was told to me that it was inspiring to them to, to have that sort of interaction because, you know, in Houston, Texas, the opportunities are not, uh, there are still many opportunities, but they're not the same as, you know, high schoolers who might be going to school in New York. Um, but um, I, you know, sometimes would give the dress shot. I would do a lot of um, community, you know, any type of community engagement or, or gathering. Like um, there were tishes sometimes Friday night or the community has a lot of, you know. So basically it was sort of being involved in the community in that way and, and meeting different community leaders like the head of the um head of the federation there in Houston and um, whole whole bunch of interesting people that I got to meet there. So, Are you looking forward to your work at Lincoln Square Synagogue? Um, oh, excuse much. me. You just were at Lincoln Square, right? Excuse me. I, I have this right. Are you looking forward yes, to your I'm work? Yes, I'm looking forward. I'll be starting very shortly, and um, I'm really excited. Uh, Rabbi Shaul Robinson and Ilana Steinhain are really um, incredible, incredible um, people, and I'm really excited to be mentored by them. And I think the opportunity for a woman to be mentored by a woman who serves in a community is very rare, but it's I, I feel very grateful grateful to have that opportunity. Rabbi Brand, or any advice about Lincoln Square Synagogue? Well, I mean, we're very excited that Elon is going to be part of this and, and play a role as an educator in the synagogue. I think it's important to recognize, and I think this is, uh, you know, we, first of all, we're blessed to have young women like Ilana who have decided to really immerse themselves in the study of Talmud and to make sure that the next generation of women and the next generation of Jewish community has uh, Torah scholars. Um, and as Ilana continues to grow in her Torah study, please God, I think that we'll all benefit from that. Um, we also have uh, the GPATS program. We have more women applying to the GPATS program than we have actually room for, which I think also represents the fact that there's a, a major interest in this. And we also have to navigate an important issue, and I think it's important that we mention that, and that is our goal and role here is not to create new titles but rather new opportunities for women. Uh, we're not looking to create women rabbis. We're looking to create opportunities for women to be educators within the larger Jewish community. And I think that that will benefit women, and I think it will benefit the rest of the Jewish community. And there shouldn't be a glass ceiling when within the parameters of our Misora, within our tradition, we can find ways for women who have been studying on a rigorous level, both in high school and after high school, and within, the, and within university, we shouldn't create a glass ceiling that's socially imposed and not halachically imposed. A halachically imposed uh, perspective we will honor and we will always follow. Um, but to have people, again, like Ilana and others that are now playing important roles within communities, I think she, it's a real Kiddush Hashem for all of us. Well, well said, Rabbi Brander. Ilana, we wish you the best of luck in this new position. Thank you so much. Look forward to seeing you at Lincoln Square Synagogue, and thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Ilana Gadish, very interesting story, and uh, I guess the medical school uh, world's loss is the uh, synagogue life's world gain, the Jewish people's gain. Thank you, Rabbi Brander. All right. JM and the AM, Ira Mitzer is going to join us. Of course, the uh, State of the University discussion with President Richard Joel is coming up and plenty more happening on a Friday morning broadcast. Erev Shabbos, Parshas, Akev with candle lighting at 8 a.m. in the New York, New Jersey area. Some synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. We continue with more Erev Shabbos selections at JM and the AM.
the AM. Erev Shabbos selection as we continue with our Champions Gate number 8 uh, Yeshiva University Leadership Conference discussion. Uh, we're here until 9 o'clock. Mark Zomik will do a fourth hour of JM and the AM between 9 and 10 on our stream at jmtheam.org as he discusses with appropriate um, a guest the process of uh, choosing a rabbi for a community. It's coming up between 9 and 10 this morning, Eastern Time, in place of Naomi Nachman's table for two, which is normally heard in that time slot. I want to thank ZK, who's of course here. Uh, because Mr. Mitzner's in front of us, it's a good opportunity to thank the staff at the Hilton Orlando. Is Bruce the engineer the man to thank? We thank Bruce the engineer, who has been, again, a tremendous help to us. So thank God, Billy Iron Horror, we're broadcasting smoothly this morning. Big thank you to stand back in the studio. And a reminder, those of you who've tuned in for the weekly update, we're actually having a weekly update tomorrow. I've been honored by the folks at CJF. I've been asked to uh, host a weekly update with Malcolm Homeline down here. Uh, but our regular on-air weekly update, which folks tune into around the world every single Friday uh, to listen to what's happening in this amazing world of ours, uh, will return next week, Bezrat Hashem, 7.40 Eastern Time, uh, both on the radio and our stream at jmandtheam.com. Dot org. Uh, Mr. Ira Mitzner joins us. He is uh, president of Rita Development Corporation, a national and international commercial real estate investment development firm based in Houston, Texas. As he relates to Yeshiva University and the Center for the Jewish Future, he's vice chair of the Board of Trustees of Yeshiva University and chair of the CJF Advisory Council. And if I would spend the time listing all of the different causes and organizations that Ira and his wife, Mindy, based in Houston, are involved with, both on a local and national basis, it would take the remainder of the program. Rabbi Brander, please help me welcome Ira Mitzner to JM in the AM. Well, I think the best way to describe it is the fact that we brought a whole bunch of rabbinical students down here um, to really learn from this experience. And we thought the most important thing that could start off their experience here is to meet with Ira Mindy. Because I think what Ira and Mindy both represent is really the ability to engage on multiple platforms, whether it's the local platform being involved with the synagogue and strategic planning for the school, whether it's on a national platform, the work that Ira has put into uh, Yeshiva University is just one example. Champions Gate is not only does not only exist because of Ira Mindy's philanthropy. Ira has been involved with the visioning of Champions Gate. He's a unique partner. He's a unique lay partner because he doesn't only help you from a perspective of making sure that you're financially sound, but he helps you through his wisdom and 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 his unbelievable partnership and guidance. And on an international level, whether it's his work with Yad Vashem or whether it's work with Israel Bonds, he's really brought that wisdom to multiple levels, multiple tiers of the Jewish community. And I think uh, the Jewish community is, is blessed to have Ira and Mindy. And please God, they should have the strength to continue to do what they do. And it's a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Thank you, Malcolm. You know that uh, life might be simpler and, might, and some might argue easier for someone like yourself to continue your business pursuits and essentially ignore the Jewish community. It probably would uh, take a lot less of your time, I would bet, and probably a lot less aggravation. Uh, How can someone like yourself convince others to get involved, not to sit back and watch or complain or both, but to actually take a role like you have in helping the Jewish community grow and envisioning the future of the Jewish world. How can we convince others to take this type of leadership role? You know, we, we have to always step back, each and every one of us, and realize the gift that Akash Baruch Hu gave us, the gift of life, the gift of living in a time where anyone could effectuate change. 
We're not 300 years ago in a shtetl of Poland where our destiny has been preordained for us. Our work, our creativity, everything and anything is possible. And, and as far as um, in being involved with communal causes, it's incumbent on each and every one of us to be part of, you know, the, the term is sometimes overused, but tikkun olam, it's a basic responsibility. And quite frankly, I think it was George Bernard Shaw who said, the, the more you put into an organization, the more you will get back from it. The more you put into communal life, the more you will get back for it. So the truth of the matter is, the more one gets involved with all the problems and challenges, the more one benefits and one's ben- family benefits. That, there has to be balance, the family, the career, but at the same time, involvement in worthy institutions and in our community is something that we can never take for granted. Ira Mitzner is here. Uh, back home in Houston, you've uh, been, I mean, you said this on the air, how proud you are of the development of the community down there. Well, the last time we spoke was a year ago. Does it continue to progress down there? Absolutely, but not without challenge. We're now um, going ahead and we are about to bring a new head of school on. And that was not an easy search. There were challenges trying to identify. There's always situations, whether there are funding challenge, whether there are challenges related to the number of students, hashkafa. There's always issues, but the, the, the real thought process has to always be, how do we move forward? How do we go ahead and put the best team on the field in order to try to accomplish what we want to collectively accomplish in, in, in being honest with oneself and one's community as to what the potential is and, and how to overcome challenges. Well, with that in mind, you must be Im- extremely impressed with the team at right now at YU and CJF, because you we were mentioning earlier how <laughs> basically those who have the privilege, because we had students on who were not students, excuse me, we had lay leaders on who are educated in a special program by those at YU who are able to uh, give them a course in spirituality and in finance and guidance of how to grow their community, and they are benefiting from an all-star lineup. I guess you would argue that, yes, it is, in fact, still an all-star lineup. Absolutely. (laughs) What what was envisioned by President Joel, Rabbi Brander, was the ability to have this central organization, this mothership. If I need help with a uh, head of of school or a principal or understanding the economics of programming and how I'm going to raise funding, there's the opportunity to have a place to pick up the phone and get support is something that we always envision and hope for. And Rabbi Brander has... um, has gone ahead and and with, with beyond um, beyond what we could have imagined in terms of executing. And Champions Gate has really it, it, it's not just a weekend. It's not just these few days. It's something that goes on all year round. And you want just like it, it, those who are uh, you know on staff to accomplish these types of things. You want lay leaders around the country and average folks as well to get involved and lend their opinion, their ideas, their initiatives. And it all and it doesn't. Everyone can do this within their own means. Everyone can play a role. With Within their own means. You know, everybody, many people say, well, I don't have the resources like so-and-so. I think the greatest resource that you can give everyone is your, your time and your goodwill. And when all is said and done, 
it, it has to be a group coming together um, of Balabatim, of men and women, to go ahead and to say, how can we go ahead and move our communities forward? How can we think about how is best to, to educate and rear our children within the parameters that we, that we would like to see? And that's involvement by everyone. It's not just about, you know, um, um, someone who has more resources versus less resources. Everyone can contribute back. You spoke last night and uh, this time in a different type of forum, uh, again about your amazing roots and your incredible father and anybody who wants to do research can find uh, what, what it's written about David Mitzner, an incredible career post-war, even pre-war, an incredible career, but even more impressive afterwards. Is there a way when so many people uh, would assume that somebody who spent all those years in the gulag and was beaten down as a person and likely had, I don't want to speak clinically, but likely had some type of depression or negative attitude toward life. Is there a way to sum up how someone like that was able to go ahead establish a foundation, I mean that with a small f, establish foundation for themselves and, and progress to the point where they were able to accomplish what he was able to accomplish so far? You know, um, about ten years ago, um, after um, after quite a bit of convincing, I got my dad to write a book. And the title of the book is Nisim All Around Me. He sees his life as a miracle. He sees opportunity that he had to go ahead and, after the Shoah, have a second opportunity at life as a miracle. And I think his mentality, and I think it's a lesson for all of us, was that we have to realize that every day we're on this earth every day we've been given this gift is a miracle is a miracle seize it take the opportunity you know and um and that's what what more than anything else i think that those around him have learned from him that positive attitude that we are so fortunate as to today and and that op- that optimism just it never stops and it's infectious and I would assume it's an exception because m- many survivors maybe exception is the wrong word but many survivors were not able to garner the energy the spirit, the positive attitude that would be necessary to do that you know every survivor had a different experience, everyone you know, looked at it differently I mean, it, you know, sometimes he does cry for his losses you know, when I, um, I think about my daughter who now is the same age as his sister, who was lost in the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, named for 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 her, and you know it's not an easy thing, but you know that that's life. We we live with we live with wonderful things. We live with challenge. We live with tragedy. That's that's what life is. And I think you know I I you have to look at every survivor's experience, and they have to you know come from it. And come away with you know what, what's what what becomes meaningful to them and subsequently their family. Right, Ira Mitzner is here. He is uh, a vice chair of the board of trustees of Yeshiva University, chair of the of the um, CJF advisory council. I always, uh, because of my insatiable curiosity and because we're here, I always feel like I need your expertise on this. Um, we know what's happening in this state, and it's suffered tremendously in terms of the housing crisis. We hear um, that that things are improving down. here. Here. Is Florida a good investment at this time? Or is it a? Uh... I actually think it's a great investment. 
you know, it, it, it's so many times in life, and, and it's, it's like, you know, I, we talk about the business cycle. I talk um, with my partners, both Jewish and non-Jewish, about Joseph, Yosef Atzadik, and it seems like every seven years, I'm, I've been in business 30 years, and I've finished my fourth recession in the real estate industry. So, you know, it, you know Yosef, it's usually a year or two, but it, it, it usually um, it parallels that. And one of the things you learn from being in this in the business is that you, you look at demographics and also you look at pricing. Um, we were selling, you know, down here in Florida condominiums at um, almost twice the price six years ago as what is available today, and that's where opportunity is. If if one, especially with the demographic change, baby boomers looking at uh, at um, at housing prices, etc., I would say that it's actually, an, and this is not just a self-serving comment because we don't have anything for sale right now, <laughs> but I would tell you that I think it's an excellent time to be looking at real estate, and for those who are looking for a second home or those who are looking for other opportunities, um, I think this is the bottom of the cycle, and cycles go up and they go down. Finally, and it's been a while since either of us spent any time, uh, considerable time on the Yeshiva University campus. Obviously, you're there often, but I'm talking about when we were students. You look back now after all these years. How do you view your experience at Yeshiva? Um, I will tell you that... I had an excellent experience in the sense that I had the balance between the Torah and Mada. And I, and I took from so many professors, both on the Judaic side at EMC, now called IBC, right. as well as in, in the college. But I will tell you how proud I am today of um, what Richard Joel's vision has created for these kids over the last 10 years. And I would, I would say that if someone comes to Yeshiva or Stern and wants to pursue the totality of the opportunity, I would put that experience up with any Ivy League university and all that they can get out of it, not, not including the, 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 the wonderful part of being with peers and being able to help grow and potentially become a, a leader and a participant in the Toru model world. That's an extra benefit, but educationally, what has been accomplished over the next 10 years, I, you know, I, I, we joke about our age, you know, I, I think I'd, I'd like to go back to school at this point and go back up to Washington Heights. I can, and I can see Richard very often. <laughs> Ira Mitzner, thank you. You are our host, and we appreciate you inviting us again, and uh, thank you for joining us this morning at JM in the AM. You're very welcome. Nachum Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Look forward to spending a wonderful Shabbat together. This is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program, heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. WNYX Montgomery, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Well, many different media outlets have been uh, spending time speaking about Yeshiva University and uh, uh, some of the things about its past. I concentrate, especially at Champions Gate, on the present and future. And uh, to that end, as usual, 8 o'clock in the morning Eastern Time on our Champions Gate Friday, we speak to the president of Yeshiva University for what I call 
the uh, State of the University discussion. President Richard Joel, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nachum. It is a great pleasure always to welcome you and to uh, participate in our alumni broadcast since uh, I also believe in today's Yeshiva University. But I'm looking at you and I think of yesterday's Yeshiva University, which had the uh, great good fortune of attracting young men, if you remember back, like you. It's a while ago. And... uh, (laughs) And uh, saw how you grew through yesterday's Yeshiva University, how uh, you found your great talent in communication and broadcasting while at Yeshiva University. And while you understand uh, what Yeshiva University is so well together with your wife, that you invest your children in Yeshiva University. 100%. And uh, this is a good opportunity uh, to thank you for making sure that we're able to do so because people out there don't realize that Yeshiva University is open to everybody and it's a golden opportunity for families out there to take advantage of their kindness and uh, again we appreciate what you've been doing for us well it's my pleasure I was uh, uh, I'm really very happy to be here and uh, uh, I'm very excited about the affirmation of a strong and committed Jewish future um, that Yeshiva represents, but that this conference reaffirms in having people from 70 or 80 different communities, wonderful people coming together to learn Torah, to teach Torah, to, uh, to, to bridge the town-gown relationship, and to realize how, how much we have to celebrate our lives and how much we have to give uh, to our people and to the world. No question about it. You've made quite a commitment because you've uh, openly stated that you're going to be with Yeshiva University for a while. Well, you know, you know the great expression "Mensch tracht und gut Okay, uh, I, I've completed I've completed ten years of service. The board of trustees invited me to uh, to take another five year term. We all thought about it a lot. Uh, the truth is that there's an enormous amount of young leadership out in the world, and although I still feel that I'm young, uh, ten years as uh, as a university president is seventy seven dog years. Um, but I am renewed in some ways by the people you've already spoken to this morning, the opportunity, the challenge, and uh, I think we have more to do. So we agreed to another five five years. It's funny you mention this because every president of every institution, whether it be a shul, school, and obviously all the way up to universities, uh, everyone wants to make their mark. Everybody wants to, you know, affect change in a positive way to the point where they could look back and say, hey, you know, these were the years that I served. And if one analyzes the last 10 years, I mean, you have done an amazing amount to uh, have solidified a tremendous legacy for university, but you just said it. You just said there's more work to be done. And in the category of more work to be done, you would include... I would include. Good. I'm glad this is a rehearsed program. Um, uh, but I do. The reason I'm hesitating is I do want to go back to the question of of what we accomplish and how we want to make our mark. But uh, in terms of what we've accomplished, I think I think this setting is one of those issues because look, I I I received a um, a very important and successful institution by my predecessor, Dr. Norman Lamb. Uh, who should live and be well for many years. But his, his guidance to me was to say, um, don't look back, you know, t- take what I've done, I've given you a lot, and now move it forward. So I've always had the, uh, the pleasure of saying, I'm building on, I'm not, uh, I'm not fixing. Right. And so that's been wonderful. Um, but I think this locus is the one that makes it clear. Uh, Yeshiva University has dropped its walls. 
Institutions tend to build up walls and see the world only through the boundaries of its walls. But the mandate of Yeshiva University, we don't need the Jewish community to help Yeshiva University. Yeshiva University exists for the Jewish community and therefore we believe that the community will recognize that we're one of those institutions that they should sustain with their children and with their fortune and with their involvement. Uh, the last ten years, I think, have seen both internally and externally um, the concepts of of a uh, of a proud orthodoxy. I don't like any kind of labels, but a proud Torah committed. Jewishness saying that it has to both teach its children how to celebrate that world and teach the world that we have something to offer, um, not by not by making statements, but by being statements mm. in terms of how we live. I think uh, I, what I'm proudest of, uh, I think, is a is a tone of kavod habrios, a tone of civility. Um, uh, trying to banish cynicism, which is corroding our entire community and inviting skepticism because that's central both to the academic enterprise and to the learning enterprise. Um, I think the uh, we have added in the last 10 years over 100 members of the faculty, over 100. Um, and, and that wasn't because we were rolling in money. It's because we knew that if we didn't have the capacity to offer our children and the community splendid learning and splendid thought and rigorous research, we wouldn't be doing our job. And, and this is an important update for everybody, speaking of State University, because the issue of cutting faculty was, in fact, an issue a while ago, so now this is a very important development. Well, we have, despite all the noise, I mean, one of the problems is that there's not a, a, a tremendous number of people in the media who are committed to truth and to facts, as you are. Um, so the truth of the matter is, we did no cutting of faculty. We cut everything else that we could possibly get our hands on. We certainly have uh, gone through a period where for the last three years there were no raises for faculty or anyone else, and some serious cuts. That's being turned around at the beginning this year, not because we have so much more money, but we have so much of an obligation. Uh, but in fact, we looked at Yeshiva and said that we have wonderful faculty faculty, but we really have to prepare it to prepare our students. So even in these economic times, by the way, um, I just uh, act, uh, I just got the, pr- the approval of our board of trustees to give tenure to 18 members of the faculty uh, university-wide. And it's that number because six years ago, before, uh, before a different economic reality, we had brought on so many extraordinary scholars, mm-hmm. extraordinary scholars, uh, that they've now come of age, they've done their research, they do their service, they're fabulous teachers, and we've wanted to say we have a permanent investment. Very important update. President Richard Joel, State of the University, as we discuss Yeshiva University here at Champions Gate 8. Now, you talk about the walls being taken down. Uh, the fact that, and this is such an amazing development, I hope that alumni and community members understand how significant it is. Uh, Rabbi Brander spoke to us about Israel and about now Yeshiva University crossing the Atlantic Ocean in a very strong manner. Now we know that YU has had a tremendous presence in Israel. No, no one knows that better than you. But it's going to only grow and more attention is going to be paid to it. That's also a very important component of this. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure you were awake. <laughs> um, maybe. Um, it's certainly, look, Kimitzion Tetze Torah, from Zion comes Torah. And, and the reality of the Zionist vision is that, that Israel, Baruch Hashem, thank God, is now the center of the Jewish world. It's where half of the Jewish population of the world lives. And it should be 
both supported by the world and supporting the world. And that, of course, was also the vision of Natan Sharansky, right. who's trying to transform the Jewish agency into being a vehicle for identity. I'm told every time I'm in Israel and when I'm not that, uh, that, that our vision of Torah Umada, our vision of Big Ten Judaism, our vision of Shleimut and integrity uh, is one that doesn't have a solid home in Israel and we all know that uh, that, that pursuit of integrity and civility and a, and a Torah that is a, a gift, not a weapon uh, is something that we all look for and so if there would be a way and we do have a a, a lovely campus in Jerusalem, and our Smicha students spend one year mm. learning there, and we have uh, about 700 students who are beginning at Yeshiva, who spend their first year at an array of quality yeshivot and seminaries, and we do programming with them there. Uh, we also now are using Israel as a venue for many of our service learning programs. As I'm sure Rabbi Brander told you, we have about 100 kids right. um, now influencing about 1,000 kids in five development towns. Uh, in Israel in a way that is a zen nehene, a zen nehene, our students gain and the students that they work with gain. It's a wonderful thing. However, we are not the ugly Americans. So it's not ich bin du. Here I am, Yeshiva University, we're planting our flag in Israel and look what we're doing. We're not the ugly American. Right? So the real question is, is there an added value that the state of Israel and that our people there need that we can offer and are supposed to offer? And number two, is there a group among our alumni and others and Israeli philanthropists who say that whatever it is that we're supposed to be, they want and they will partner with us to do it. So Rabbi Brander's mandate uh, as part of his uh, enhanced uh, position as Vice President for University and Community Life is to look at, frankly, what I failed to do in my first ten years. I pledged in the beginning that we would articulate a new vision for relationship with Israel. Now we have much more in terms of a center for Israel studies. Uh, there's still at least 15% of our graduates who make Aliyah. Right. Uh, there's no question about the involvement of our students in advocacy and support and, and, and learning and growing about Israel. Um, but um, I, haven't, I haven't been able to find what it is that's the added value that we can and should do in Israel. It still sounds like the maybe is, uh, well, get, is, is, is getting no, away. No, no, I want there to be a victory. I just, I just right. think that Kenny Brander can bring his um, incredible energy and creativity to a conversation with our partners in Israel right. to see what's next. So real R&D is going to be taking place. Yeah, very seriously. I met, I met this week with, uh, with Professor Chaim Sukanek, who's been a wonderful uh, My first member. cousin. He's your cousin. My first cousin. Yeah. Is there someone other than me who's not related to you? <laughs> His mother and my father are brother and sister. It's a wonderful thing. You know, if only your family listens to this show, you have tens of thousands of listeners. I always it's, tell them that, but it doesn't work. It's very <laughs> impressive. It's very impressive. But, but in fact, Chaim Sukhanek has been a wonderful professor of, uh, uh, of science at Barilan University and has just been named the president of, uh, of Machon Lev, the Jerusalem College of Technology, uh, who are also our neighbors in Bayat Vagan, uh, adjacent to our campus. Right. So we just began conversations this week about areas where we can have partnerships. I know partnerships are somehow um, uh, not something that's looked on fondly in the Jewish community, um, but, uh, but it's something we can have a breakthrough in. Um, uh, and, and, and it's wonderful. Uh, I do want to just go back for a second and you say what, what's, what's the last 10 years and I talked about walls being down and right. I talked about faculty. There's also a climate of, of, of Kedusha of, 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 of sanctity um, to the 
to the campuses, uh, the, the role that our security staff or our maintenance staff play in greeting each other, greeting the students, feeling responsible for them, and frankly, the unique environment that our students have at Yeshiva, which is not a dual curricular school. It's an integrated experience. It's a sense of how do we live with all the potential and joy and responsibility of a Jew, embracing contemporary society on our terms, and having an experience that can be exhausting at Yeshiva, but is one that grows them in so many ways and gives them the gift of responsibility. That's what's exciting, and that's what you see here when you see the students who are here. Right. I, uh, I know how amazing campus life is, and uh, you described it uh, perfectly. Uh, finally, the 5774 uh, school year is set to begin. In fact, relatively early compared to other years. Uh, have we uh, upgraded our campuses? Have we paid careful attention to the uh, start of the new school year? Anything special you want to tell the parents out there they should be aware of as we get to uh, start the new school year? Look, if I could do anything, it would be turning to all of your listeners and say, "Tell me when you're going to come visit, and tell me when Good you're going to tell me when you're going to sit down in the base madrash with our students and our rabbeim." I seem to have an easier time getting prelates of the Catholic the church to come visit our base medrash uh, than I do to have uh, the Jewish community. It's, there is no way, there is no way uh, to, to describe the vitality of, of, of Yeshiva University and the people that make it up. And you know how much we want to share that with everyone. For the parents, the answer is you have made wonderful choices and commitments in seeing that all the investment that you've made in your children in the most important educational center, which is your home, right, has been buttressed by community, by the quality day schools and yeshivot that, thank God, we're working with to try to keep strong and make stronger. And you've realized that all of that can only really come to fulfillment by investing them in Yeshiva University. Um, uh, come and visit them. Encourage them. Ask them to talk about who their faculty members are and who their rabbeim are and what their commitments are and what sports team they're on or what the newspaper or radio station they're involved in or what internships they're doing or how they're going to travel the world and, and go to all kinds of places and certainly Israel repairing the world. Um, uh, and know that your children are safe and that we are concerned beyond anything that it's an environment that's healthy our counseling center deals with all the incredible challenges that college students have we have a disability center that works with students who have a different set of challenges mm -hmm. we have academic advisement and a wonderful career center our goal is that this is an important step in making our young people successful and there are elements to success one is to prepare them for a career that will be meaningful and sustaining for them. More than that is that they be people of wholeness because they're spending most of their lives not in their business but in their skin. 100%. Uh, President Joel, the state of the university is glorious, Thank in God. my opinion. Thank you so much for joining us. My great Thank pleasure, always, and, and welcome to Champions Gate, and enjoy. Thank you very much. Thank Richard you. Joel is the president of Yeshiva University. And yes, the state of the university, as far as I'm concerned, is in fact glorious. This time each and every Friday, every Arab Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Ekev. Parshas Ekev contains eight mitzvos, and within these eight mitzvos we have some very significant ones. We have in this week's parsha 
the mitzvah of Birkas Hamazon, grace after meals, which I hope to come back to. We have the mitzvah of Le'ehov Es Hagerim, to love the converts, to fear Hashem. According to the Rambam, and the Chinuch follows the Rambam, to pray daily is a biblical mitzvah. And finally, Lidavek Biode HaTorah, to literally get close and attach oneself to those who are knowledgeable in Torah, the concept of having a Rebbe. You have as well at the end of Parshas Ekev, not only the second paragraph of the Shema, but you have the beautiful description of the relationship of God to the land of Israel, Tomid Enei Hashem constantly are the eyes of God upon the land of Israel. From literally beginning of the year till the end of the year. And our rabbis tell us in a very mystical way that in reality so much of the blessing that we have outside of the land of Israel, including in the Birkas HaMazon, we have four blessings. The first one, according to our rabbis, is and was composed by Moshe Rabbeinu when they were privileged to receive the man in the 40 years in the desert, Baruch Ato Hashem, blessed are you God, Hazan HaKol, who nourishes all. Now, in the second bracha, it is the bracha of Birkas Oretz, the blessing of the land. And we thank Hashem for Eretz Chemda Tova Urachava, a wonderful, spacious, desirable land. Now I'm telling you, why do we mention the land of Israel if we've eaten a tuna sandwich in New York, New Jersey, or any place else in the world? And one possibility is, as you'll find in the Rashi, at the end of this week's parsha, Rashi asks, does Hashem only care about Eretz Yisrael? But he gives that beautiful analogy. A father wants to give one of his children a treat, but he knows very well that if he gives only that child, the other children will pick on him. The other children, he knows, I give out. look what happened to Yosef at Tzaddik. And so the father gives all the children, but all the other children don't know it, but they are getting it in the schus, in the merit of that one good child that deserves it. The bounty that we receive outside of the land of Israel, we don't realize how much we are getting from the land of Israel as we find at the end of this week's parsha. And hence, I hope that the second bracha of Birkas Amazon can have an additional meaning to us. But I'd like to focus on the four blessings of the Birkas Amazon. And in the second blessing, as we mentioned, we go and speak about the land of Israel. The third bracha of Rachim, we speak about 
Yerushalayim, and we speak about Tzion, and the base Hamigdash. And finally, in the fourth bracha, we have that of Hatov Vahamitiv. Now, let's take a peek at this last bracha, and ask ourselves, why is this bracha a part of Birkas HaMazon? The very last page in the Gemara Ta'anis tells us that and this was applicable to this past Monday, which was Tuba'av, one of the many events that are attributed to the 15th day of Av is that after Bar Kokhba was defeated and there was a terrible slaughter of hundreds of thousands of Jews at Betar. The Romans Yamach Shemam for a period of approximately two and a half years did not allow the Jewish community to bury its dead. You could only imagine the potential for disease and terrible um, ill hygiene that could have erupted as a result of this and instead when they were finally given over for burial they instituted a blessing a blessing of Hatov Vametiv God is good Shalom Hisricho the bodies did not decompose the usual terrible stench that accompanies a dead body was simply not there for two and a half years despite the weather conditions and especially in the hot time of the year and Hametiv, God is good, that they were finally given over for Kavura. Now what is this doing in Birkas HaMazon? In reality, asks the Meshachachma, it should be in the Shemona Esrei, in the Bracha of Modim, where we say, thank you Hashem for the miracles that you have done for us. Well, Hatov HaMetiv would have been very well. Why is it there? So the Meshachachma's take on Birkas HaMazon, and I only hope that we listen to this, because let's be honest, because Amazon, as the Chassid Yavitz points out, ouch, is one of those mitzvos that don't have mazol. What does that mean? Says the Chassid Yavitz in his Sefer, Chazdei Hashem, some mitzvos like Purim, wow, be your chametz, wow, and even our concern for Basavacholav, that we're so careful in our homes, and when we go out to make sure that it's kosher, and that there's that complete and total separation between milk and meat, etc. However, just think, and I raise this point every year because it hurts so much, People, rightly so, will invite family, friends for a Shabbos meal. Look at the incredible potential for bringing families together, for Kirov, for Divrei Torah, for Zmiros. How long does a Shabbos meal take? Oftentimes, minimally two hours, if not more. And I ask you, how long does the Birkas HaMazon take? And Unfortunately, the answer is, you know as well as I do, much 
too short. Even when we say it, we don't say it with the proper kavana. There isn't that realization. My goodness, if the Shulchan Aruch tells us that when it comes to Shmona Esrei, a person is to literally, as we find in Orachayim 98, a person should visualize in his mind that he is standing literally before the Shekhinah and this while yes, according to the Shekhinah we said it's one of the Taryag mitzvahs according to the Ramban it's only a rabbinic mitzvah but Birkas Amazon, everybody agrees is a biblical mitzvah and yet unfortunately it gets the short end and I'll tell you something I'm not ashamed to say it most often I will try to sing the Birkas HaMazon at my Shabbos tables for the purpose of concentrating on each word more slowly and more particularly so that I can have a better understanding of what it is that I am saying. And so, the Meshachachma says, do you know what you have in Birkas HaMazon? You're not simply thanking God for the food, but you're thanking Hashem for literally becoming an integral part of His nation. And we start with our nationhood and their experience in the Midbar, in the desert, where for 40 years we were sustained by the Mun. We go to the next step, the next progression. We come into Eretz Yisrael with Yoshua. We go to the next step where we were with David and Shlomo in Yerushalayim and the base of Migdash, and lest one should, God forbid, come to the conclusion that that was the only time that God showed His Hashgacha Pratis, His divine providence on the Jewish people. No! Even in Golos, even when the Jew is outside of the land, and even though this happened in the land of Israel, the blessing of Atova Metiv, the Aruge Betar, those of Betar that were killed, it's certainly in the time of Golos, in the time of exile. Atova Metiv shows us that God is with us even in our exile. And so the Birkas HaMazon is not only thank you Hashem for the nourishment of the food, but thank you Hashem for the special relationship that you had in the past and have with us now and the privilege I have to be part of the Jewish nation. This is one explanation of why Atova Metiv is here. I'd like to share with you another one, an exciting one, brought down in the Sefer Nefesh Aaron, who brings the Tzlach, and the Tzlach says as follows, fascinating question. I ask you, says the Tzlach, why was it necessary to bury the many hundreds of thousands of persons who died at Betar? Wait a second, after all, says the Tzlach, the bodies did not decompose. There was no health hygiene threat. Why are they being buried? And his answer is a very perceptive one. His answer is to show that Kavura burial is not only for the purpose of the body, but burial is also for Litovas Hanashama. It's also for the soul of man. Ah, similarly, 
What's going on with Birkas HaMazon? We just finished a meal. And we're thanking God for the nourishment to our bodies. Comes along the bracha of Hatov HaMetiv and reminds us, wait a minute, it's not just our bodies that are being nourished, it is our neshama as well. It is the soul of the Jew. And this we see very clearly. The Ari points out, and this is brought down by the Mogen Avram in chapter Six in Shochanorach Orachayim. When in Shochanorach Orachayim it's talking about the bracha of Asher Yotzar that the Jew recites after they have visited the bathroom. And listen carefully, they're saying, Thank you, God, for the healthy functioning of my body. But how do we say it? Rofeko Basar, God, who is the healer of all flesh, Umaflila Asos, and he performs wonders. What's the wonder? So, yes, if you say to me, the wonder is the healthy functioning of the human body, you are correct. I'll be an easy marker this Friday. But I'd like to give it one greater understanding. And that is as follows. The Ramah says in chapter 6 of Orachayim, you want to know what the Pele is, what the wonder? The wonder is, and I quote, God literally watches, preserves the spirit of man inside, the kosher, and he binds something which is especially spiritual, our soul, in something most physical. When we go to the bathroom, we're reminded of our physical nature, and at that same time, we're reminded of the fusion that exists between the body and the soul. And this is therefore the essence of the bracha of Atov HaMetiv to remind us that we have not been nourished only our bodies our souls have been nourished as well. And just as the Gemara tells us at the very end of the third chapter of Yuma on page Lamites Amad Aleph on the Pasuk V'nitamtem Bam the Pasuk says V'nitmesem but it's written without the Aleph and the Gemara teaches us over there that Macholos Asuros if a person unfortunately eats non-kosher food. It is metamtem halev. It unfortunately literally dulls particularly the mind. So the opposite is true. When we eat kosher food, this literally gives us the nourishment as the Ari says based upon this week's parsha, that we should know. It's not by bread alone that man eats from the carbohydrates and the proteins and all that which is found in the food, but rather, as the Torah says, But we are nourished as well by literally that which is contained in the food, the spiritual component. And this especially we should remember when we sit down to Shabbos meals. Tonight, tomorrow, pause for a moment and realize that the mitzvah that we have of Oneg Shabbos, the mitzvah that we have of eating the meals on Shabbos is a way of connecting not just 
physically, but in the most powerful way, spiritually as well, even through the very food that we eat. And therefore, I pray that we will appreciate the Birkas HaMazon all the more. Shabbat Shalom! To all. JM in the AM. As we continue from Champions Gate number eight, it is the Yeshiva University Leadership Conference. I want to say good morning to Muggsy Scheinfeld, who is here, and I was told that a greeting to Muggsy would be uh, uh, a welcome one uh, for a lot of folks back in the New York, New Jersey area. So a good morning to Muggsy Scheinfeld. Also, a reminder our weekly update, which will happen here tomorrow because I'll have an opportunity on the Champions Gate program to speak to Malcolm. Uh, um, about current events, but our radio weekly update returns one week from today, 7.40 in the morning on JM and the AM. Make sure to be tuned in. Candle lighting at 8 p.m. on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Akev. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Jonah Raskis is Assistant Director of Undergraduate Admissions at Yeshiva University. His primary role is to recruit prospective high school and transfer students from around the U.S., Canada, and abroad. By the way, these admission folks have set the bar very high. So now they, uh, you know, once you hit number one, there's only one place to go. So they have a very tough act to follow, and that's their own. In addition to recruiting students, he directs the post-Pesach program mini-semester for students returning from their second or third year of study in Israel. I can tell you that our own Benjamin Siegel undertook that program last year. He's also responsible for managing the social media presence for the Office of Admissions. Jonah Raskus, welcome to JM in the AM. Thank you. He did a great job on the post-Pesach program. Thank you for all your help. Thank you. Um, so let me start with the social media. What is the Office of Admissions tweeting out and Facebooking on a regular basis? Tell me. <laughs> so uh, basically, we found that basically all offices of undergraduate admissions throughout there, throughout the U.S., are now on Facebook and Twitter. That's the way you've got to be. You've got to be interacting, not just through email, not just through on the phone, but you have to be where the students are at. And students are on Facebook and they're on Twitter, so you got to be posting pictures, you got to be posting updates, you got to let them know 28 days till orientation. <laughs> and these are the places where you're really going to be getting the mass audiences nowadays. Because every college, every university has a presence in social media, and now you're in competition. I mean, I guess this is always the case, but now there's never been more intense competition with every university in the U.S. like there is now. Definitely. Uh, although, you know, it's interesting that when we started our Facebook page just about three years ago, very few universities actually had a Facebook presence mm. out there. And we still find from, from you know time to time that universities don't have a presence out there. So it's still something, I, you know, I think you could say kind of like that university life maybe will take three or four years to come into the world, you know, and it'll take them a few years right. to get on the Facebook presence. But but nowadays, really, every almost every campus has a page. So out tell there. us how to follow you. What do people do? So it's pretty simple. You go to Facebook.com, and you can also just go Facebook.com slash Admissions, or you can just go to the search bar, just see, search Yeshiva University Admissions. Um, and Twitter, I assume, is at Admissions. That's right, exactly. Uh, do you understand the comp- Compliment behind my statement that when you're number one or when you've progressed to the point that admissions has at this point, because we've been discussing all morning how amazing the numbers are now, thank God, and how so many students and families are taking advantage of Yeshiva University, it's, it's hard to keep that up. You know that, right? Definitely, yeah. Uh, well, I think what's important to look at is the few years beforehand, you know, there was real uh, a big drop-off. So what's important to us is just to keep moving up, especially from those years. So right. if we don't match the numbers from last year, it's not the end of the world. Of course, we're looking 
looking to do that. Right. But what's important to us is to keep a momentum going, and that's what we're really looking to do: is to beat the you the few years before that. And you know, if we beat last year, amazing, great. If we don't, you know, our goal is at least to beat the few years before that. Joan Oraskis, assistant director of undergraduate missions at Yeshiva University. Shoshana Schechter is here, assistant professor of Bible at Stern College for Women and director of the Mechina program, which we'll discuss in a moment. She's a graduate of Stern, a BS in Judaic Studies and English Lit, holds a master's from Bernard Revel Graduate School of Jewish Studies as well as from Columbia University School of Journalism. Ooh, there's something we have an affinity to. A frequent lecturer on topics in Tanakh and has been involved in Jewish outreach programs on four continents. Shoshana Schechter, welcome to JM in the AM. Hi, good morning. Great to speak. Can you tell us about the Machina program at Stern? The Machina program is very special. It's also growing tremendously at Stern College. Um, we never, you know, for so many years there were students in Stern, including myself, going all over the world doing Kirov, um, all over the place, and there was nothing here in Stern. And we had students coming from public school backgrounds who were down the hall from us, um, and uh, there, there was really no program. You know, they took beginner classes, but there was no actual official program for them, and they had very different experiences than students coming from the regular Shiva backgrounds. Right, no formal, formal curriculum for them. No formal curriculum, no formal program, not just a right. curriculum. There were beginner classes. So um, eight years ago, we started this program where um, we have classes on their level as well as programs, you know, Shabbatonim speakers on beginner levels. There's so many advanced speakers at Stern. And uh, what we're doing is we're creating a community within a community and giving these students an opportunity to shine and feel comfortable and secure um, and see that there are students just like them and, and that Yeshiva University is open to all types of students from all types of backgrounds. Right. Uh, male graduates may recall the, 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 their days in JSS. You said to me that no program like that existed on the Stern College campus until exactly. this Mechina program began. Exactly. JSS has been a, around for a while, um, and, uh, and there was no program for the women. So it's really very special. It's growing in leaps and bounds. You know, students from public school backgrounds, from limited to no Jewish backgrounds, um, official, you know, Jewish education, see that they can have a comfortable environment to learn. I just got back, actually, from an exciting... I came back yesterday from Israel. We had an exciting um, program in Israel. It's called July in Jerusalem. It's an Israel component of the Mechina program um, because most of the students coming to YU have that Israel experience, the Yeshiva Seminary experience. Our students never had that. So we created a program we were there for a month. We're based in the YU campus in, in, in the Gurus Kolel. And we give them a seminary yeshiva experience for a month. And it's very special. Fantastic. Now, in terms of, I mean, we know that JSS was essentially an early morning program and a dual curriculum with the yeshiva college program in the afternoon. I know it wasn't exactly like that, but that's basic, that was the basic structure. Does Machina work the same way? Is it essentially you're in two schools at the same time? Not really. It's different because the structure in Stern, the boys' Machina works that way. Mm. The structure downtown is very different. You know, we have a mixed secular uh, Judaic study classes throughout the day. It's a little more challenging in terms of the schedule, but what the school has done is blocked out time for us for our Machina classes in the mornings. So um, they're very supportive. Everybody's very supportive. Uh, this was really Richard Joel's um, uh, idea when he came in, his priority coming from Hillel, and he wanted to make sure this was going to happen here. So structurally it's a little challenging, but we work it out, and it's, it's really tremendous. How does a program like this help admissions? Well, 
we are always looking for the next target population to grow our numbers. Good you know, point. you're talking about trying to match last year's numbers. Well, we need to find new areas to grow. You know, the modern orthodox high schools are obviously the bread and butter of the Wahoo population. But we need to then look outside that population and see where else can we grow our current, current numbers. Machina programs, you know, the students from public school, the students from overseas, by the way. We've got 15% of our undergrad population. A few hundred students are from, you know, whether it be France, whether it be even Poland, whether it be from Ukraine. And these students have a Jewish background, but they don't have the basic skills. And that's where Machina comes in. Um, so we need to grow our numbers. We need to keep looking for other students. Machina is one of the areas, among a few other areas also. That yeah, we're I can grow. imagine. I mean, it's, uh, I mean it's, it's doubled in size, you know, almost tripled in size since the start. How does it look for this coming school year? It looks like it's growing. We had 32 new students this past year, first-year students. And I don't know, we do a lot of interviews. I've interviewed tons of students. I think we have more than that this coming year. Well, it's back to special. Facebook, this is yeah. one of the areas where, you know, Machina and public school students, right. I mean, they're all over Facebook. So one of the best things we're doing now is focusing every week a new incoming student on our Facebook page. So we have that way a student who's out there, a picture of them, and then all their friends are tagging, all their friends are commenting. They're like, well, I want to go to YU. Oh, my God, if my best friend's going to YU, then I want to be there. And that's the way that you then continue to increase your network. The marketing geniuses up at Yeshiva University. We have certain schools, like even a public school in Oregon, where it's like the in thing is to come to YU now because of word of mouth, because they've had such positive experiences. Shoshana Schechter is the director of the Machina program at Stern. Jonah Raskus, assistant director of undergrad admissions at YU. Thank you to both of you. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Excellent. Excellent work, I'll tell you. Uh, a lot of great things happening, that's for sure. We have uh, another couple of very special guests with us here at Champions Gate. All right, Josh Joseph is the senior vice president of Yeshiva University, a title that was bestowed upon him recently. Congratulations, Rabbi Thanks. Joseph. Thank you very much. With the guidance of President Richard Joel and the Board of Trustees and in partnership with the Provost, Josh oversees the strate- strategic planning of the university, infusing his creative and entrepreneurial thinking into the business development and advancement of all aspects of Yeshiva. He is one very passionate man about Yeshiva University and about developing the next generation of professional and communal leaders. Uh, Rabbi Josh Joseph, welcome back to JM and the AM. Should I say welcome back? Have you been on the show before? I think I've been on before. before? Never been on. Okay, this is the first. (laughs) Never on. My gosh. Well, it's great to welcome you, and uh, thank you for joining us. And uh, we have uh, Dr. Scott Goldberg with us, Director of YU's Institute for University School Partnership, the office that supports Yeshivot and day schools by guiding recruitment and placement of teachers and leaders, advancing the quality of education and consulting with schools on finances, operations, and governance. Uh, do, they do an incredible amount uh, when it comes to online teaching, which we'll talk about as well. Dr. Scott Goldberg, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thanks so much, Nachum. Um, well, congratulations, Rabbi Joseph, Senior Vice President of Yeshiva University. Does this come with uh, an additional mandate, more responsibility? How would you describe what this, uh, what, what came along with the brand new title? Well, aside from the fact that it's only because I just turned 40 in the last couple of years. Congratulations. That's where I got the senioritis. Um, but, yeah, it does come with some new responsibilities, including a little bit more proactivity on strategic planning, implementation, business development. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're here this morning is to talk about some of those things. It's been very exciting. I've been working very closely with the faculty and with people across the university um, on developing some new programs and new ideas for YU. Can you reveal any of those or tell us about your intentions? Because I'm curious what strategic planning means when it comes to universities.
university, one might think that every department is operating the way it should and heading in the direction it should. Could you describe for us uh, an example? There's a recent study that uh, we used to think of generations lasting 20 years at a time. I just then the study said that now generations switch every seven years. So even if you had a strategic plan within the last five, seven years, which we have had, uh, things are changing so fast that you have to do a constant planning and implementation process. And uh, I'm lucky enough to have a partner like uh, Dr. Scott Goldberg here to work on some of the new things that are happening in higher education as well as with the faculty across, uh, across the schools to think about how do we look at education for 2013, 2015, and 2020? We can't imagine what's going to be because we didn't know what was there five years ago. We didn't know what we'd have today. But if we can try to imagine two, three, five, seven years out, what will education look like? What should education look like? Um, a couple of years ago, Harvard started their institute or their initiative for learning and teaching, the Harvard Institute for Learning and Teaching, to focus us on well, what should education be about? Teaching and learning, right? Learning and teaching. Those are the two main things that we need to do in education. How do we do that better? How do we think about that in the 21st century and going forward? And um, the person who introduced me that, to that concept, sitting to my right over here. And we'll speak with Dr. Scott Goldberg about that. It must, it must seem impossible to stay ahead of the curve with things ever-changing so quickly. It must, it must be an overwhelming task uh, to try to, you know, stay ahead of the times, essentially. Well, look, I don't have to wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning to get to my job every day, so that's overwhelming to me. You know, it depends what your perspective is. But there are some underwhelming parts to it that make up for it. But in your case, you know, you're trying to uh, to really, uh, you know, talk about strategic planning, to trying to stay ahead and, and, uh, and, and figure out what's going to be happening in the world of education and how to address that. It's not an easy task. Not an easy task, and especially the world of higher education. There's a lot of innovation that's going on right now in ways that haven't been in the past. Right. Good things, difficult things, challenging things. Um, the only way we get there is through collaboration, through working with great leaders, great faculty members to think about these things and be planful and constantly be updating. Dr. Scott Goldberg, is it all about technology? Essentially, 99% of what Rabbi Joseph just said comes down to the technology capabilities of 2013? No, I, I don't think so, Nachum. I, I think that, as, as Josh said, uh, you have to start with teaching and learning. And it starts with not only the leaders, but the faculty and working together to realize that you can reimagine education, you can reimagine teaching and learning because of the technology. The value of the technology is being able to reimagine. Um, I'll speak a little bit later uh, during one of the Ellie talks uh, sponsored by Avichai uh, about um, Harvard University, right? So Harvard Business School, we know they're a leader in case study methods. Correct. Right? Mm -hmm. But they've really stopped doing case studies. They don't do case studies so much anymore. You know what they use? What? They use dynamic simulations. Technology now allows you to live the case rather than just having it be static. Rather than just reading a case study and asking questions through it, you can actually be in the case. And you can therefore leverage technology to advance the learning of students and also therefore advance the, the, uh, the, the research of faculty to be able to understand how people are learning, to, research, uh, to be able to utilize the, the research of faculty to be able to build those systems of learning. You know, it's funny because some, somehow this morning has now come full circle. Rabbi Penner from REITs was discussing with us how in our day, supplementary and practical rabbinics was essentially lectures, and here's what you do in this. Now they role play. They actually have a company that comes in and creates the scene for you. In this case, as you're saying, 
you're enveloped by the whole thing. You're not just looking at paper and analyzing it. You are part of that whole experience. Absolutely. Some of us you know, grew up with SimCity, right? So, and some of us are afraid. You know, how can the gamification of education? But right. the truth of the matter is, um, some of the most uh, dynamic learning, some of the, uh, the most successful learning, uh, comes when you're close in close proximity to to, uh, to the application itself. Right. And uh, therefore, cases allow you to do that. Is the online education technology-wise now across the board? Is there any group? Uh, grade school, high school, undergrad, graduate school, is there anybody who cannot at this point take advantage of what's being offered in terms of online education? So certainly I hope that everyone's taking advantage. I, I can speak for Yeshiva, for Yeshiva University that uh, the faculty of the undergraduate colleges uh, have, uh, have have really started to move into uh, teaching in a blended way, utilizing technology in their classrooms, uh, being able to engage their students outside of class uh, online, and also even having fully online courses. Uh, we're piloting this at Yeshiva University, trying to understand how it is that this can further the education at Yeshiva University. This coming year already, at the undergraduate level, there'll be several online courses. This summer, there was an online course in accounting. Um, moving forward, there'll be several other online courses at the undergraduate level in chemistry and uh, in uh, in other topic areas. Um, in Hebrew language, there there's an online learning lab now at Stern College. Uh, there are all sorts of opportunities at the undergraduate level. I'm really excited about them. At the graduate schools, uh, they're also embracing uh, online education. Uh, again, in pilot form, uh, Wurzweiler uh, has a number of courses coming up in the fall, I believe five. Uh, Furkauf has a number of courses as well in psychology. Uh, and Azri Ili, as a graduate school, already this past year launched a fully online master's program and for several years has had online courses for the global educational community. Uh, the school partnership has had for several years continuing education. We discussed this on Thousands the of educators who otherwise would not be able to advance their profession are able to learn. Uh, the newest technologies as well as the newest in teaching and learning in general uh, through our engagement with them globally. Grandmaster chess players are better now because they have competitors at their level that they can access immediately anywhere in the world. Sort of like the same thing. Sure. Words with friends, right? It's right. a scrabble worldwide. Correct. Uh, so what does that look like if we start engaging uh, those types of tools in the classroom? And what if the classroom isn't the only place we do that, right. but we look at the entire educational experience, not only with the service learning that we provide, which is wonderful and awesome, and sending our students globally, but bringing the global world to the students. Understood. But, Rabbi Joseph and Dr. Goldberg, uh, and I understand that, that most of this is being done under the supervision of professors, obviously, right, and those who head the departments, but there is a fear that all this could, could lead, potentially, to online courses being done by students, literally online, at their own pace and, uh, you know, in their own settings, and the campus experience slowly fading away. Need we fear that? No. The uh, research suggests that uh, that 80% of online students now in higher education are within 20 or 30 miles of campus. Uh, their the camp own campus. Their own campus. Uh, the campus experience is an essential component of a college experience. Online education is not a supplement. It's integral also. Uh, however, an enhancement, I guess. It's an enhancement. Right. Um, however, it needs to be an integrated approach towards the full experience of college for students. Rabbi Joseph, on this topic? Well, so I just want to come back to what I started sure. with. It's not about the technology. Technology is a means to an end. It's about the learning and teaching. How can we reach my children who spend more time with the technology than I ever did, who right. can already are explaining things to me that I don't know how to do? 
they're used to it. That's how they are getting information. So it's about how they learn. So it's just a modality. It's a way to reach them. It's not that it's going to be. It, it, you need teachers. There was a there's a book that came out in 2010, Clayton Christensen, uh, from Harvard Business School. It's called The Innovative University, and in it he talks about the Harvard model, the traditional model of universities, but also about the new online, fully online hybrid learning. What he comes to is sort of a modern orthodox approach, if you would, where he says we got to keep tradition. You need the bricks and mortar. You need the community. You need the student life. But you also need to embrace the technology and use it as part of the message. You know, Nachum, I, I have a picture that I took last week of my two-and-a-half-year-old, uh, Tani. He's lying on the floor in his bedroom, and he has uh, my older son's cell phone in his hands with his fingers on it. And uh, I asked him, what is he doing? And he said, texting my friends. <laughs> We have to recognize this is the world our children are growing up in, and we have to leverage it to advance the teaching and learning in our schools. Oh, I agree with you 100%. I just don't want to get into a situation where the amazing networking and social aspects of a real camp, and you know the value of a Yeshiva University campus experience. I mean, you know the value of it. I don't want that to be lost for the next generation. Education is not just about an intellectual downloading of information. It's a complete experience. It's physical, it's spiritual, it's intellectual, it's emotional, and the only way you can do that is live. Right, 100%. And we have to make sure we maintain that while we take advantage of all this incredible technology that's available. Absolutely. Uh, Jeffrey Glanz, a faculty member at Osri Ely, who's been teaching for 40 years in higher education, has been a dean, been an assistant to a president at other universities, um, recently wrote a blog where he shared that he was skeptical about higher education, uh, online education and higher education because of the value of the relationship between the teacher and the student. And he was concerned. How would that potentially break it down? And he realized after teaching the course, even during teaching the course, how it actually enhanced the relationship, developed it further. He was able to advance the learning of the students and he was able to have closer relationships with each of the students because of the ability to individualize for them. There you go. All right, Dr. Scott Goldberg, uh, great as usual on the topic of uh, online education. Continue your incredible work. Or by Josh Joseph, congratulations on your brand new position. Continue your amazing work. And thank you both. Look forward to a wonderful Shabbos down here at Champions Gate. Thanks, Nachum. We Thanks, love Nachum. Your work. Shabbat shalom. Appreciate right. that. All right. Uh, want to uh, remind everybody that uh, coming up at 9 o'clock, just seven minutes from now, Mark Zamek with a fourth hour of JM in the AM, which is going to be dedicated between him and his guest to the concept of choosing a rabbi for a synagogue. You will find out a lot about the process of choosing a rabbi for a synagogue. Mark Zomik, we see 9 and 10 on our stream at jmnam.org, followed by our amazing music stream all the way until candle lighting time. Weekly update with Malcolm Holmline returns next week. We'll be doing an update here tomorrow. Malcolm will return next week. And a special good morning and hello to Joey Bodner, unofficial caterer with main event caterers of JM and the AM, who is here at Champions Gate. And as usual, Velling as he watches JM and the AM perform live in front of an amazing audience. A big thank you to all of our colleagues, Mayor Weingarten, Miriam L. Wallach, uh, Mark Zamek, who produced this morning's show. Mark, I can't thank you enough for that. And, of course, to ZK and Stan, who are responsible for us sounding as good as we do. If you think it's me, folks, no, no, no. We have an incredible engineering staff that keeps us going and makes us sound as smooth as possible. Anyone here, because there's so many folks from around the country, anybody here who has never installed the Nahum Siegel Network app, now is your opportunity. Right now, on your iPhone or Android, search the words Nahum Siegel Network, install the app, you will be privy to all of the incredible programming 
that we have on our app, which includes everything on our stream, archives, and uh, really everything. Take care of that now. You'll be glad you did. Journeys, time to say good Shabbos. This is JM in the AM.
Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, WNYX Montgomery, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Round the world on the web, jmtheam.org. And that wraps up an amazing Friday morning broadcast from Champions Gate. Thank you, Menachem Lewin. Thank you, Menachem Lewin, for coordinating everything as usual. A pleasure for three years in a row working with you. Thank you, ZK and Stan. Pleasure three years working with you. And a big thank you to Mark Zomik for producing today's show and making life very easy for the host of JM in the AM. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Great weekend, everybody. Monday, I'm in studio in Jersey City. To start the week again, Mark Zamek right now on the stream for a fourth hour of JM in the AM on the topic of choosing a rabbi for your community. Tune in right now, jmtheam.org, and enjoy today's fourth hour. Have a wonderful Shabbos, great weekend. Until next time, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.